Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I am your host, Scott. We are at episode 24 this week, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of 10. In the first segment, you know, I didn't update my spiel here for our for our new uh format i'm just realizing now as i'm saying this so uh the first segment now what we're doing uh i like i feel like what we did last time worked pretty well so we're gonna keep doing it our first segment we're gonna go through items 10 through 6 ish probably on our list uh we'll talk about those kind of what we feel are important about those we usually try to keep the the t- 10 to 6 a little bit shorter and then in our five through ones that's where we'll really get into it these are going to be the real contenders for what belong on a unified list. Our last segment of the show is going to be talking about, hey, here's what belongs on this unified list. Usually it's stuff from our top fives. And then we kind of argue about what's going to belong here. What, what, how should these be ranked? Uh, sometimes it's contentious, sometimes less so. I have a feeling this one might be a little more contentious. We'll see. This week, TBD. our topic is top 10 songs over five minutes in length. Yeah, this one was a little tough only because there's so many there yes there are very many songs and the problem is in order to remind yourself of why you love a song you really need to listen to it and each of these songs is at least a five minute commitment (laughs) yeah i put together a playlist of my final um my final top 10 here uh let me pull that back up here and look at it yeah my my top 10 songs over five minutes one hour and 24 minutes (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I don't think mine's quite that long. I have I a couple very long. I have a couple way longer than 5 minute entries on here. I I do not have as many, I think as you. But we will see. We will see. Yeah, most of mine are kind of in that 5 to 6 minute range. I would say, let's see, most of mine are between 7 and 10 minutes. Yeah, that's some uh, of them longer than that. Even it's quite a bit of listening. Yeah, but hey, they're all good. I think so. Anyway, I'll be the judge of that. So uh, usually Scott and I don't uh, share what our lists are ahead of time. So we can kind of, you know, be surprised and, and, you know, formulate arguments on the fly. Uh, for our music-based episodes, we usually share these with each other ahead of time because it's really hard to argue about something you've never heard before when it comes to music. Because uh, just so much of it is like the feel of it, right? And it's true for other media to a certain extent, but especially for music, there's just nothing else really to latch on to if you haven't heard the song, right? So uh, we've looked at each other's lists and have discovered we have no duplicates this time, which is pretty rare. It's incredible, actually. I didn't... I, when I built my list, I felt likely that we probably didn't have duplicates, and you thought we would, but we'll get yeah. into that I later in the show. I did think there was one, looking at your list, because I know what it is, it 
does surprise me a little bit. And yeah, we okay. will talk about that. Okay. It, this was a hard, like you said, this is a hard one to put together. There's so many great songs. My honorable mentions this week is, uh, I would describe as absurdly long. <laughs> um, but we'll, uh, you know, I'll no, go through them fast. No side list for this one? Uh, I thought about it. There's a couple different contenders that I had. Uh, my strongest idea for a side list that I had uh, was songs that uh, I think of as one track, but are actually two separate songs that kind of run together on an album. I had a good four or five of those that I really liked, and one of them that would have made my list, but uh, then I remember, because what I used to do, actually, back in the day, because I know a lot of you young kids now like to use things like Spotify or, you know, not really have your own music library and just stream things. I say, screw that. I like having my own music library. So, uh, and I have maintained that since the days of, you know, the iPod and stuff like your. that. Your? Oh, okay. Uh, also the days of your, certainly. Mm. Mm. Um, what I used to do as, let's say, like a 15-year-old is some of these songs I wouldn't ever want to hear, like, the second portion of. For example, um, from U2's album Boy, there's uh, Oncot Doob uh, that goes into uh, Into the Heart directly. Uh, and I don't want to hear Into the Heart on its own. It, like, I need that build up from uh, and, and kind of breakdown from Oncot Doob that goes straight into that. So I would just edit those together into one track. And then when I built that list, I that habit has come back to bite me a little bit because when I was building this list, I was like, Oh yeah, this one goes on there, and then go and realizing like, oh wait, no, these are two separate songs. I can't use this. Too bad. But, and oh, this well. was also part of the the earlier discussion that we had because some songs are partner songs and sure. are frequently played together on the radio as a single song in a lot of cases, but are actually two distinct songs, like "Eruption" by Van Halen and "You Really Got Me." of the time when I hear those songs, they are one right after the other. And it's it's a seamless flow, no start to be or end from either one. It just goes. Yeah, and that that is two uh, separate songs though. Two separate songs on the album. And also, since those in this specific example we discussed, uh those are both short enough tracks that even together they do not break five minutes. This is true. It was more the example that sure, I was going sure. for than it was one that would make my top ten. Great song. I mean, yeah, I, I really like it, but it's not a top, top you ten. You really got me. Sure. And That's a cover. Of course. You know that? The, I, yeah, I did. The, the Eruption solo, though, is also... Oh, yeah. All-timer. I mean, fantastic. All-timer. Perhaps on my list, anyway... Um, we're going to hear some more about some good guitar solos. I doubt it. Uh-huh. But we can try. We should get well, started. Why don't we, why don't we get started here, Scott? Uh, why don't you kick us off here with your number 10? Uh, my, a ripping guitar solo song. That's right. My number 10, beloved parody artist, Weird Al Yankovic, presents heard of him. The Saga Begins, a parody my, oh my. of American Pie by Don McLean. This here Anakin guy. That's right. With a runtime of 5 minutes, 27 seconds. So The Saga Begins is obviously a parody song uh, of American Pie. And the lyrics are summarizing the plot of the film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Through the this point had, of this view movie's of come up a lot Obi-Wan. Lately. Say that again? This, this, uh, this movie's come up a lot lately on, the, on our show. Specifically right, sh- Episode One. That's funny. We should watch it together. This is this that 
that movie was a formulaic movie, and in my mind, it helped shape my childhood. But we can have that conversation another time because I don't want to spend too much time on my number ten. Yeah, the fine. song's title, not mentioned in the lyrics, derives from a tagline that appeared in the teaser trailers and the film poster for The Phantom Menace, which said, every saga has a beginning. So The Saga Begins was released as a single from the 1999 album Running With Scissors and later appearing on the compilation album The Saga Begins. Now, Th- this is the first Weird Al song I've ever heard in my as a child. Oh, I thought you meant just now. I'm like, there's no, no, no way. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, as, man. As a child. Uh, this was the first one I ever heard. Okay. That is a great starting point because Running With Scissors is a fantastic album. But I, I believe I heard this before I had heard American Pie. Uh, oh, wow. That, okay, that's kind of... Incredible. I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music as a kid. Uh, okay. Well, let me keep going here. Set to the tune of Don McLean's American Pie, the saga begins, recounts the plot of Star Wars Episode One, right, from Co- Kenobi's point of view. But Yankovic gathered most of the information that he needed to write the song from internet spoilers, and Lucasfilm declined a request for an advanced screening, so he paid to attend a charity fundraiser pre-screening. And then he had done such an accurate job with the storyline that he only had to make a couple of minor alterations that he learned after watching the pre-screening. It was also learned that Don McLean approved of the song, and according to Yankovic, also said that his children played it so much that he'd start thinking about Jedi's and Star Wars and it would mess him up. And that's a direct quote. Jedi's is uh, incorrect. It should be Jedi. That's the correct plural. So according to Yankovic's website, Lucasfilm's official response to the song was, quote, you should have seen the smile on George Lucas's face. And this, this is, in fact, the second Star Wars song Weird Al has created, with the first being Yoda, a parody of Lola by the Kinks. This is much better than Yoda. Although Yoda's also one that I know really, really well. I might I know that I song I for that sure one. better than Lola. I, I, I don't I don't love that one personally, but I think I have a soft spot in my heart for uh Saga Begins, certainly. It it's an amazing song. And I easily one of my favorites. Running with Scissors, I think, was the first album that I really started listening to Weird Al. And so I was happy to include this on the list. It was a great song, but it's not more than a number 10 for me so sure what's your number 10 my number 10 is the longest entry on my list clocking in at 16 minutes and 18 seconds yeah you heard me it's really Ooh. long uh, um i made you listen to this you uh, did i listened to the whole thing it's good uh this is from snow patrol's album 100 million sons in 2008 uh the song overall title this is lengthy is the lightning strike colon what if this storm ends slash the sunlight through the flags slash daybreak? Yeah. Three uh, parts. One it's track. a three part song for sure. It's all one track on the album. Um, so there's going to be a lot of narrative focused songs on my list. This one encroaches on having narrative, but ultimately is more descriptive in nature rather than actually having a direct story. Uh, this is three main parts. What if this storm ends this is a very strong piano driven piece, uh, strongly piano driven. Uh, with some really great har- vocal harmonies in there. Uh, it's a little bit more melancholy. Sunlight Through the Flags is, I think, the weakest part of the track overall. It's pretty good, but it doesn't land as hard for me as the other parts. And then when we get into to Daybreak, the third part that wraps things up, that's the strongest overall, I think. Really great bo- vocals from singer uh, Gary Lightbody here. Uh, and I, I just think a uh, overall an experience I really enjoy. Um, 
you know it's brought down this probably could have ranked higher i think if that middle part was stronger for me but it's it it comes out as just pretty good kind of bookended by two really great pieces for me you know, I, I'm inclined to agree with your assessment. This is the first time I've listened to this song. Uh, the first part, I I felt like the piano was pretty good, but I was genu- generally unimpressed with the middle, kind of like you're describing, and yeah, I thought they finished strong. I don't know that this is a song that I will listen to with any kind of frequency, but I very, don't very regret long. having listened to it. It's a, I it's wouldn't a long turn long. it off if it was just playing, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If I had to get up and walk across the room to turn, like, change the song, which really is not a thing these days, but if I had to, I probably wouldn't. I'd let it play. I, uh, I, I am a sucker for very long songs, as you're going to see for uh, uh, multiple other entries on my list. Uh, there's other entries on the list I could have included that are well longer than this, even. Uh, but uh, ultimately, for the top ten, this one uh, narrowly edged its way on. Hmm. So, number ten for me. The, we'll just say the lightning strike what a great what a great song pretty good how about your number nine number nine is a metallica song at five minutes 43 seconds this song is called no leaf clover and i had never heard this which is surprising to me but you're not really a huge metallica fan so i guess it's not that surprising i like old metallica it t- to me, it's, it was a really, really hard decision to pick one Metallica song for this, given that sure. that was the I, And I was surprised that this is the one you chose. This is the one I always come back to. There's just something really? about okay. the symphonic orchestra, the San Francisco Symphony that they have playing with them that just really adds to this song for me, and I, I love it. I just yeah, absolutely this, love it. Because this is originally released in 1999 on, on a live album. Right. That's right. So it's the eighth song on the S&M live album, and uh, it, it features the San Francisco Symphony. So the, the song, along with uh, Minus Human, or Human, was one of two new pieces completed for the band's collaboration with the San Francisco Symphony in 1999. It begins with an intro section played by the orchestra before entering into a clean guitar part by James Hetfield. And then the rest of the piece alternates between clean choruses and verses backed by heavily distorted guitars and nowadays when it's performed live the orchestra back in the track uh is used for the orchestra intro so they it's the the footage they use the footage from the snm performance is often what they use um but anyway it was the band's fourth number one hit on the billboard and uh, some random chart you know they got a bunch of those it stayed at number one for seven consecutive weeks, and it was also featured in the trailer created by the distributor AD Vision for their DVD release of the TV series Farscape. No oh, Leaf really? Clover is featured as a playable track in Guitar Hero Metallica. And for me, the, the one lyric that always sticks with me from this song, because in addition to the I love the orchestra and the strings and everything that is just involved with the, the building portion of this at the beginning, the number one lyrics that stick with me are, then it comes to be that the soothing light at the end of your tunnel was just a freight train coming your way. And I, I just really like that. That's a really strong lyric to me. So that song overall, I, I, it's hard for me to say it's my favorite Metallica song, but it is certainly the one that I think of most often and go back and listen to most often. Sure. Fade to Black was a close contender here. 
and uh, I nearly put that as as the number nine, but ultimately I decided No Leaf Clover was the one that I listened to more often and the one I, I cherished more. So a lot of beautiful Metallica songs, but this is the one that I had at nine. So uh, one by Metallica it was in another universe could have been my number 10. It's very good. It's very close for me. Master of Puppets uh, was up there for me as well. Also good. I really like Master of Puppets. I uh, there Enter Sandman was not on that list. Um, I think it's I, overplayed. It's fine. I like I like Enter Sandman. Um, I, so there's a phenomenon that I have um with Metallica where everything past Black Album, I just find that James Hetfield's vocals for me just get cornier over time. Hmm. Not a problem I have with the prior to Black Album and earlier, but everything past that album. It's like the the later in time it is, I'm just like, what am I listening to, James? What are you doing? Just it's, it's like he's going too hard or something. I don't know. Sure, maybe that's just me. I know they've kind of waned in popularity a bit as time has gone on. Um, well, it's but... because they release crap music, but that's another <laughs> conversation. Death Magnetic, not great. Um, nope, sure isn't. But whatever was the most recent album felt like they were really trying to get their old sound back and there's some okay songs on there it's not great but it's okay it's it's good enough and full disclosure i do have tickets to see metallica later this year so i'm excited for go. that there you go it's a two show tour and i'm taking my son and it's going to be amazing what's your number nine my number nine uh is where i'm uh, uh careening over to the genre of classic rock uh, we're going Wait, all is the Metallica way back. not classic rock? Uh, how do you define classic rock? How... I'm just kidding. There's a lot of different. They're not. They're like that. classic metal. They're metal. They're uh, they're definitely he- heavy metal. In the metal yeah. genres are blurry. Okay. Um, anyway, go ahead. Uh, we're going all the way back to 1976 uh, to the Blue Oyster Cults. Don't fear the Reaper from the album Agents of Fortune, clocking in at five minutes and nine seconds. I was going to say, this one's barely over five. Barely over five minutes. This is the shortest one on my list. Uh, Truly iconic song. Definitely my favorite from the band. I I, I like a good number of other Blue Oyster Cult songs, but this one definitely my favorite. Uh, Really excellent guitar solo, spooky vocals, macabre lyrics make this maybe the most goth kid classic rock song. Uh, and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, we can't leave out the, mentioning the cowbell, of course. Uh, Why is that Chris, significant? Thanks. Is there like a Will Ferrell skit in there somewhere? Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah. I got a fever. The only medicine. More cowbell. Not a bad, not a bad Christopher Walken you're doing there. Uh, hey, so thank also you. worth noting, this is an extremely fun song to play on the drums. I like, I like it a lot. It's fun. Uh, and then the only other thing I have to mention... Uh, I'm glad quick... you said that as a metric. Keep going. Really? Okay. I have other songs on this list that fit that as well. Other songs that I can play worse on the drums. <laughs> There's some very hard ones on here. Um, but Ooh, yeah, Dang uh... it, I just remembered another song. Okay, it's not, would, have been, would not have been a top ten. It's okay. okay. Honorable mention. Uh, so, uh, fun fact in here, the lyric about how uh, 40,000 men and women die every day uh, that number is completely made up by the lead guitarist, Buck Dharma, because he thought that sounded about right. He was like, oh, yeah, it's probably about 40,000. Uh, in actuality, he was about 100,000 people too low. <laughs> so way more oh. people not die every day on the earth. Well, that's so sad. But hey, 
But yeah, that's my number nine. Don't fear the Reaper. Great song. You already know what it is, though. So uh, let's head over to your number eight. My number eight is going to be a familiar entry okay. from our name songs. All right. My number two on that list, Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas, clocking in at five minutes, 41 seconds. He's still got sunshine in a bag. I, I still love this song. And it turns out it's over five minutes, which... Yep was not something that initially occurred to me. I was scrolling through some lists of five-minute-plus songs, and I saw this, I'm like, wait a minute, is it? Like, oh, yes, it is. Yeah, the album version, the one that I'm used to that has, like, an extended musical portion kind of on the end of it, and it's just a little bit quieter, a little more somber. There's no lyrics at that point. That is the version that I'm used to listening to, and it is, in fact, five minutes, 41 seconds. So... I don't want to sound too redundant here. Clint Eastwood is a very good song that I I think it had pretty strong success across the U.S. I've already talked about this, like I said, in that episode. Since this is number eight, in the interest of time, I'm going to forego speaking about it too much. It's also unlikely to make our combined top ten, so... If you want to hear us talk a bunch more about that song, go listen to that other episode. That's right. You should definitely go check out the other episode. I do talk about it quite a bit. There's some Guinness World Records stuff. There's the perception of the actor, Clint Eastwood, with respect to the song. So we'll come back to it. That's episode 18, by the way. I had to go look it up, but that's what it is. Beautiful. What's your number eight? My number eight is uh, we're going to stay in 1976, weirdly enough. Uh, Significantly longer song, though. Uh, Seven minutes, 47 seconds. We're talking about The song Foreplay slash Long Time by Boston from the album Boston, their first album. I know that song. Hey, this first album is so good. God, I love this album so much. It is just straight bangers all the way through. Uh, This is, I would actually say, not quite the best song on the album because it's really hard to beat more than a feeling because that is just an all-timer for sure. But this is an easy number two for me. It's got an awesome organ-driven opening, kick-ass guitar solos, super fun sing-along chorus. Uh, Just, uh, I will never skip this song, and I want to listen to it every time it comes on. Just a a great time. It is a really Uh, good song. And uh, my uh, main thing here, other than that, uh, fun fact, this was the first piece of music lead singer, uh, lead singer, lead guitarist Tom Schultz ever wrote. he wrote it seven years before it was released as a part of the album. So he wrote that all the way back in 1969. And he taught himself how to play guitar less than a year before writing the song. It's pretty incredible, considering yeah. the intricacies that are involved with this song. Yeah, it's a great, really crazy good solo. Uh, and you know, he, had, he had a long history of um, like playing keyboard and stuff before that, but he just had, kind of picked up guitar on a whim. And then... Uh, it turns out very good at it. I believe this song was featured in Rock Band, and yes, I think it was one of the more fun and challenging songs to play on drums. If I'm, yeah, I think this is a play. Rock Band one song. Yeah, like old Rock Band. Yeah, I never owned Rock Band, but I played it often at other friends' yeah. houses. I only had Guitar Hero. More than but a I feeling was... is in Guitar Hero one. Ah, ah, yeah, I guess it is. Oh my gosh, Guitar Hero 1. Talk about a tough game. Yeah, the buttons didn't quite work the way you wanted yet. No, 2 was better. 3, I think they had perfected it by 3. 
Yeah, but anyway, but hey, that's I, I that's number eight. Four play long time. Beautiful. If you song. haven't listened to this somehow, go do it right now. It's so well. I mean, okay, not right now. Listen to the rest of the podcast and then come, then go listen to Four Play Long Time. I I would not prioritize that as the first song that people should listen to if they haven't heard it. There's a number of bangers on the, these lists. That's true, but that this one's really good. Anyway, what's Add your, it to your number? Playlist definitely catch it. What's your number seven? My number seven is by Eminem at six Ooh. minutes and four seconds. Ooh. It is Rap God. I don't like Eminem. I'm sorry. Well, Rap God is a, a song by Eminem that premiered via YouTube on October 14th, 2013, and then was released to in the U.S., I think two days later or something like that. So it started on YouTube, maybe a day later. I, I don't remember exactly. But it was from his eighth studio album, The Marshall Mathers LP 2, 2013. And it contains references to previous conflicts in his career, as well as other rappers' conducts. It's pretty standard Eminem style. But in this song in particular, and the reason that I included it on the list, is he does some incredible speed work when it comes to this song in particular. And I think, yeah, let me, I've got the notes here on it. With 1,560 words, the song entered the Guinness World Records as the hit single that contains the most words, and then the song was also nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance, but it, it lost out to I by Kendrick Lamar. Uh, coincidentally, I do not know that song. The song was played during Eminem's inauguration into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I find a little bizarre that Eminem was put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I feel like Listen, we're... they put anybody in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, they really do. It, I mean, Dolly Parton's in it, and she wrote well, a rock listen, song Do- as a result Dolly of Parton's, it. But... Dolly Parton's incredible, but she's not, she's like not a rock, rock and roll. Yeah. No, okay. Uh, so the song references such things as Columbine, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, uh, the rapper Fabulous, Ray J, Heavy D and the Boys, Planking, The Walking Dead, many other things. The song's tempo is 148 beats per minute, so it's pretty quick. Uh, but in particular, the one part that I like, the verse that begins at 4 minutes 26 seconds, Eminem raps 101 words containing 157 syllables in 16.45 seconds, which is an average of 6.1 words per second, or 9.5 syllables per second, which he describes as, quote, supersonic speed. And I have the lyrics here. I was thinking about reading them. I'll I'll leave it to other people. Go listen to that part in particular. Start the song right around 4.15 if you don't want to listen to the rest of it. And just listen to the next 20 seconds and you'll catch all of this supersonic speed portion. And it is very fast. And it takes time to really listen and understand the enunciation of each of these lyrics. But he does a really good job enunciating. Now, keep in mind, he's not the fastest rapper in the world. But I think this song in particular caught people off guard because this really wasn't his style. He does some semi-fast rapping prior to this, but this one in particular, he really showed off why he is one of the best rappers of all time. And I think it's, it's a worthy mention and addition to my overall top 10 list. I do listen to the song quite a bit. Is the uh, is the super fast part you're mentioning the aggressively homophobic part? Uh, um, no, I don't think so. That's, That's a different good. part. That's good. I'm not going to defend Eminem here. I don't. 
that's fair. Agree with that viewpoint. We can we can move on. I just think the song's very clever, and he's a a wonderful lyricist. And that's I don't fair. agree with all his views. We can keep going. Reviews of Eminem. The reviews. The views of Eminem do not reflect the views of this podcast. That's uh, right. And right. also, I don't want to diss Eminem because we'll end up in a song. <laughs> I'll diss Eminem. Hey, Eminem sucks. I cannot stand him. Yeah, he'll never hear this. That's okay. What's your number seven? My number seven is a. Uh, this is the first explicitly narrative song on my list. Uh, I boo, boo. You don't, yeah. you don't like narrative? No, I don't like this song. Oh, really? Wow, this song's so good. Okay, so uh, this is uh, 2008's uh, Carolina Drama from the Raconteurs from the album Consolers of the Lonely. Uh, clocking in at 5 minutes 55 seconds. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Tours, uh you're probably familiar with Jack White. Uh, from You may know him from The White Stripes. Uh, this is one of his 27,000 side projects. Boy, he sure is in a lot of other He's bands. very busy. Yeah. Uh, He's very talented is, as well. I, I've enjoyed a lot of Jack White stuff. This album is easily my favorite thing that he's been a part of. I think this is much better than any of the White Stripes albums even. Uh, hmm. but I, uh, the, the first Raconteurs album I think is good, uh, but this album I think is truly great. Uh, and this is one of my favorite songs on there. Um, so it tells yeah. a story about domestic violence, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the singer wakes up to find his mama's boyfriend trying to kill a priest. Uh, and then some stuff happens. The whole, the whole process of the song, um, it's a longer song. The whole, the actual story that takes place in the song probably happens in the course of like two minutes. Uh, as some 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 violence happens here, but uh, there's a lot of really great descriptive prose in here, and it really sets the tone and scene very effectively. So maybe uh, I need I to listen to it a, a couple more times. But the listen that I got, it just felt like a generic raconteur song. I it's hard to beat "Steady as She Goes." I really like "Steady as She song. Goes" is very good. This is a very different sound than that. I I would personally say i think this is a distinctly different sound than a lot of their song uh but maybe it's just his voice his voice just kind of sounds the same well actually so jack white's singing on this one and he co-sings on a lot of the other songs um that the the band has done but more frequently brendan benson who's the kind of more main singer of the group like steady as she goes is is um, not yeah it's not jack it, yeah. that jack's jack sings on that but it's it's him and brandon both doing that right one. but um but the part that i'm thinking yeah. of the chorus they they have they have similar voices i would say for sure uh, they complement yeah. each other i would say yeah. but okay i i don't know just this song i listen to it i'm like eh, I, I don't know i feel like i've heard other raconteur songs and this just kind of felt like another one no i really like it you know Raconteur is definitely a band, I would say. Not for everyone. You're a big um, Jack White fan, though. and I don't I, know that I would say that. I, I like a good amount of his stuff, but then... I specifically you know, remember a, us talking about Icky Thump and you being very pro-Icky Thump and me yeah, thinking... Yeah, Icky Thump's great. That, now, that song is, is so weird and just... Oh, it's that's why it's, it's good? Meh. It's so no, weird. No, it's so uh, meh. Uh, I like Icky Thump. But yeah, anyway, that's a different thing. If you yeah. you get a ranking of White Stripes songs, that's a no, that's a whole we're episode. We're not doing that. No, there's a no. I, I don't I I only I only like about ten to fifteen White Stripes songs anyway. So that's fine. But hey, that's number seven for me. Let's head over to your number six. Number six, 
one of the most important additions on my list and the longest song on my list at uh, 8 minutes 34 seconds or is it over 9 minutes? I don't know. It depends on what version you're looking at. Sure. But generally speaking, this song is very long. It is Kashmir by Led Zeppelin. And uh, of course, this song being one of their longer ones, it is, in my opinion, one of the most iconic songs that feels like a true consolidated effort of what Led Zeppelin is. Just all of the different components that make up the sound of Led Zeppelin, I feel like every single one of them is present in this song. And I think it's better than Stairway, specifically, because it was between the two of those to put this on the list. And I thought, sure. Stairway's pretty darn good. It's hard to argue with Stairway. But I think Cashmere's a little bit better. So Cashmere's that, a good song. Yeah. Certainly. That, that being said, I, there's a couple of interesting things here. The, the song combines different rhythmic meters. The guitar riff is in triple meter, while the vocal is in quadruple meter. And Plant felt that the drumming was an important component of the song and that Bonham did not overplay his part. Uh, the lyrics were written by Plant in 1973, immediately after Led Zeppelin's tour in the U.S. None of the group members had ever visited Kashmir. Instead, Plant was inspired during a drive through a desolate desert area of southern Morocco. So That's not India at all. No, uh, all four members of Led Zeppelin have agreed that Kashmir is one of their best musical achievements, and John Paul Jones suggested that it showcases, like I said, all of the elements that made up the Led Zeppelin sound. So, pretty happy about that. Uh, the archivist Dave Lewis said that unquestionably the most startling and impressive track on physical graffiti, and arguably the most progressive and original track that Led Zeppelin ever recorded. Kashmir went a long way towards establishing their credibility with otherwise skeptical rock critics. Many would regard this track as the finest example of the sheer majesty of Zeppelin's special chemistry. I think that's it. It just, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got slow parts. It's got guitar solos. It's got buildup. It's got the overwhelming vocal voice it, or just the vocal that is provide. It's, it's beautiful. Just the whole consolidation is wonderful. And the last thing I'm going to mention about Kashmir, in the movie Oceans, I think it's Oceans 12, there's a scene where they're having a conversation with a guy that's trying to give them a job, and it's really supposed to be just George Clooney and Brad Pitt's character. Matt Damon insists that he's ready, and he gets into there, and they're having a conversation, but they're just talking in complete code, where he's like, Oh, yeah, a spider crawled out uh, under the bed and, you know, my mom killed it with a shoe. Only later did I learn that the spider was my uncle. And they're both like, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And you're like, what is going on here? And then Matt Damon's character completely lost. They're looking at him and like, would you agree? And he looks and he's like, oh, let the sun beat down upon my face. And he starts quoting Kashmir, like the first whole verse. And <laughs> it, I thought that was like perfect because he had no idea what to say and so he just comes up with something super obscure that he thinks kind of fits the situation and so they walk him out of there immediately after that and they're like you called his goddaughter a cheap whore or something and he's like what i have no idea what's going on what are you even talking about and he's like 
you guys, you have, you, you got to recover this. And he's like, you stay here. We're going to go fix this. And then later he learns that they were pulling a joke on him. They did a quote lost in translation. And it was in fact, not anything to do with him. They were just messing with him, which I think was hilarious. But the fact that he defaulted to Kashmir and even Brad Pitt's character is like Kashmir. Really? And he's, <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, wonderful reference. And not the greatest of the oceans movies, but certainly not. Still enjoy it. Funny. It's pretty. I funny, enjoy though. it. I enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe an unpopular opinion. I think the oceans twelve and thirteen movies are actually pretty okay. Thirteen. 13's quite good. I think better than twelve for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's the French it's guy. It's the French guy. It's in not the first that really one. Takes away. It's not but the first one. But we're losing sight. What do you have for number six? Because you know, there's. Let's be honest. Cashmere, best Led Zeppelin song. So what's your number six? Well, uh, so there's a lot of really good Led Zeppelin songs out there. And I really oh, had really? to think a lot about, you know, there's so many great ones that I could have included here, you know. Like Cashmere? Uh, certainly Cashmere, Achilles' Last Stand, Battle of Evermore, When the Levee yeah, yeah. Breaks. Yeah. Uh, you know, Since I've Been Loving You, that one's quite good. Uh, and ultimately I think I had to land on, um, a little known song of theirs that's called Stairway to Heaven. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Is that like yeah. the complimentary song to Escalators from Hell? No, uh, it's, it's, different a, it's, song. A, it's a different thing. Uh, oh, okay. so yeah, uh, yeah, you, you know, you know, the song had to show up somewhere. We had to talk about this at some point, right? Um, it's, it's a cliche song to a certain degree at this point. Uh, but this one yep. I think ultimately lands on genuinely my favorite Led Zeppelin song over five minutes anyway. Certainly not my favorite under five minutes, but my favorite over. Ooh, what's your uh, favorite under? I really, really like uh, from their very first album, the first track off of their first album. Are you familiar with it? Well, no. What is it? I don't uh, listen good, to good, songs by album like that. Good, good times, bad times. Oh, okay. Uh, the the just everything about that song. That is a short song. It's like two forty, um, but uh, it's very, very good. Uh, hmm. But anyway, not I thought you were going to say immigrant song. That... Immigrant song's also good. Also, a much shorter one. Yeah. Um, ranking of Led Zeppelin songs. Black uh, Dog. Okay. Someday, a lot of future yep. episode. I, I think Black Dog's probably up there for me. Black Dog's really that good. Immigrant song. Okay. Well, anyway. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this song because you already know what's up with Stairway to Heaven. But man, it's a great song. I, I truly think one of the greatest guitar solos of all time. It's definitely it really one of the most important rock songs ever. Uh, I like you got people out there who are like, oh, I only like the song when it gets into the more rocking part. And sure, that part is great. Uh, but I, I like the whole build up with the flute the flute and everything and the, you know, the slow layering of more and more instrument instrumental items over uh, over the core song as it progresses. I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. You're going to hear a lot more of that style of song on my list stuff that and my either either from the beginning or at a certain point goes real low and then just layers more and more on as it kind of builds. Uh, so, but yeah, that, uh, that stuff, uh, that, you know, in this one, I think is the best time they do any of that style of music, which is kind of what pushes it over for the edge, over the edge for me as it just hits directly to where I, what I really like in a song. Uh, fun fact here uh, that I'll end on. Uh, the band refused to ever release this as a, sig- a single. So if people wanted to buy it, wanted to get it, they would actually have to buy a whole album. Amazing. 
So they're like, yeah, you want Stairway? You're buying a whole album. And Stairway was featured in Guitar Hero 2, I think? No, no. The Led Zeppelin never put any of that stuff in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Never. They, they, they are uh, pretty stingy with what they're uh, willing to put into stuff. I would have loved... Let me oh. tell you. As a, as no, a big, there was a there was a reference to it though, wasn't there? Yeah, certainly. They they definitely referenced Stairway, but the the Led Zeppelin never licensed out any of their music for, I I don't think for any Guitar Hero or Rock Band at all, because I would have killed for that. Uh, perhaps nowadays through uh certain methods, you could perhaps play a version of one of those games that has Led Zeppelin music in there, and I have done so. Uh, and boy, it's a lot of fun. They could have made a lot of money off of, you know, they did that Beatles rock band. If they had done like a Led Zeppelin rock band or Guitar Hero or something like that with that kind mm-hmm. of treatment, I would have certainly paid the money for that because man, and played the crap Led Zeppelin, out of it. Led Zeppelin, such a better band than the Beatles. But anyway, that's my number seven or six. There we go. I did six. Um, Led Zeppelin is arguably one of the most important bands of all time. Certainly. Maybe. Beatles also very important. I just don't want to listen to them. See, I love the Beatles though, no, but it, for different reasons. It's Twi- it's not Twist the same Shout. to me. Twist and Shout's a great song, and I don't want to listen to a single other Beatles song. Wow, talk about an unpopular opinion. All right, let's. Uh, why don't we take our first break here? Yeah, we'll take a break. Um, we'll come back with our top fives here. Uh, dig into things a little bit more, and uh, then ultimately, once we finish that. We'll get into some honorable mentions in the segment after that and argue about what belongs on the unified list. So stick around, folks. Hola. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you have show ideas or comments, you should absolutely reach out to us at Stupid Sequence on Twitter. or. You can email us at stupidsequence at gmail.com. That's S-T-U-P-I-D-S-E-Q-U-E-N-C-E at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Scott's very good at spelling. Or reading. No, I'm no, not actually, Scott, reading. Scott can't, Scott can't read. I don't know. If he, it's really remarkable that he's able to like compile all his notes and, and talk about them on this podcast because he is actually illiterate. Everything is audio-based. I have other videos playing in the background telling me what to say. You said that in the cadence of everything is audio base from the Lego movie. Well, everything is cool when you're listening to someone else. Everything is cool when you're listening to someone else. Top 10 Lego movie songs. Well, what? I don't think there's 10. Are there? I was going to say, are there other songs? (laughs) Where are, are DJ? my pens? What a good movie. Anyway. Yes. Anyway, uh, why don't we go to my number five? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay. My number five at five minutes and 41 seconds, we have Avenged Sevenfold with Beast and the Harlot. I think you're familiar with this song. Oh, definitely. Speaking, speaking of Guitar Hero. I, yeah, I, once, I once heard Avenged yes. Sevenfold described as a band 
that existed purely to put put out songs that would play well in a Guitar Hero game. And I was like, you know what? That's that's pretty accurate to me. That's about what they're for. And they, yeah, the Avenged Sevenfold songs and Beast in the Hyrule, especially, I think, very fun to play in those games. They have a lot of really good songs, though. A lot that I, I unapologetically will listen to i feel like they're almost a cliche rock band in some ways they're they're a little they're a little over the top perhaps. try hard yeah, yeah a little, try hard, little bit. yeah yeah but but, but backcountry's so pretty backcountry's pretty good i love backcountry it yeah. was a consideration for this actually and beast in the harlot and afterlife also really good uh was it welcome to the nightmare is that the other one that i was thinking of anyway that sounds right a lot of a lot of considerations, actually, and Beast in the Harlot is just my favorite. It's the well, yeah, let me, I, I, let me I would get agree. I think it it's overall the best, one, their best song. Well, I'm glad you agree because it's my number five. So, Beast in the Harlot is, of course, an American heavy metal band song by Avenged Sevenfold, and it was released as a single from their third studio album, City of Evil. Uh, fun fact: the title of the album, City of Evil, is actually taken from a line in this song. It peaked at number 19 on the U.S. mainstream rock chart and 44 in the U.K. singles chart and number one on the U.K. rock chart in March 12th of 2006. So the song is one of the first songs recorded with M. Shadows. I believe his name is Matthew, but they call him M. Shadows. That's his stage name. Different vocal style, avoiding he was avoiding the unclean vocals as well as a more hard rock sound as opposed to their previous work with heavy and fast riffs, and a relatively normal song structure, with the exception of the guitar solo, which comes after the first chorus rather than the second, which is a little bit atypical of a three-verse song. The song's rapid main riff was voted as the 14th greatest riff ever by the guitar magazine Total Guitar in March of 2007. And the quote was, The main riff to The Beast and the Harlot is a great piece of dropped D riffing with Zaki and Sinister, which, of course, there are the, the two guitarists. Sinister being Sinister Gates, Sinister spelled with two Ys. Terrible. They've got, they've got some terrible, cliche, weird stage names. Anyway, they were cleverly placing the second part of the riff across the beat to create an aggressive, syncopated feel, once again avoiding all of the usual metal cliches. Kind of ironic? I don't know. Very bizarre, but it's such a good riff, you know? Yeah, anyway, you know the song. Nothing translates like vocal reproductions of guitar riffs. Yeah, right. All right. A, a so, favorite pastime of mine as well. <laughs> uh, understanding, all right, Beast and the Harlot is about the fall of Babylon. The it's a great. biblical song. From the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 17. It's weird that you like this song as a result of that. I Well, that I think that's very interesting because from which, you know, many of the quotes are actually taken for this song, such as seven headed beast, ten sure. horns raised from his head or hatred strips her and leaves her naked or there's other references. The harlot referred to in the song is Great Babylon, quoted in the song Fallen Now is Babylon the Great yep. and on Avenged Sevenfold's All Excess all Access DVD. Tony Petrosian, who directed the video, says that M. Shadow's lyrics for this song about the fall of Babylon is comparing Babylon to Hollywood, showing many Hollywood cliches such as the young, innocent boys being corrupted and losing their souls. 
Wow, that is incredibly accurate and completely inappropriate. The music video, The Harlot, was played by actress Elizabeth Melendez. Uh, also of note here, I think I read that the song was one that they they didn't completely write as a band. Like, the song existed. It was, it said, uh, surprisingly, for such an epic song and an epic theme, it was actually patched together. M. Shadows revealed, quote, we wrote it in my garage. We actually never played as a band before we recorded it. It only ever existed on my computer. Which I think is kind of interesting that you just kind of piecemealed it together and then they were like, yeah, no, this is a great song. And then they played it and you're like, wow, this song's actually awesome. The music video for, for it's pretty good. But the song itself is really just like a, a very intricate, nice, melodic, hard rock song. It's very busy. It is, but it's busy in a way that you could listen to each of the parts and still, it, you'd have to re-listen to the song. You'd have to listen to the guitar, really pay attention to that, and then go back, listen to the drum portion. It's got incredible drum work as well. Oh yeah, the drum, it's a, it's a, this is a very good drum song. Very fun drum song, for sure. Have you played it on drums? I have. Oh. Perhaps yeah. in a way that I mentioned previously. Oh. Poorly. Yeah, the true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not but, good. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, fair enough. You're better than I am. I, yeah. I, I mean, not, not that that's saying much. Uh, so all that is to say, out of all the Avenged Sevenfold songs that I did consider, Beast and the Harlot was one that I for sure had to include on this list. It was one of the first ones that I had thought of when I was putting this together. Not the first, but of the first. And I am happy to make it number five, because I still listen to this song with pretty, pretty relative frequency. Nice. Yeah. Anything else to add? You want to jump to your number five? My number five. Uh, we are jumping all the way back to my oldest entry on the list. We're going all the way back to 1968 this time. Locking in at five minutes and 14 seconds. This is Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child Slight Return from the album Electric Ladyland. Uh, we've hit another instance here where this is certainly not my all-time favorite Hendrix song, but it's definitely my favorite one over five minutes, and I do strong know your enough favorite of an Hendrix entry. song. You do. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that someday. Uh, but uh, not in this episode. Uh, is, this is, is it his version of the National Anthem? Is that your favorite? It's definitely, it's no. Uh, but <laughs> that's, that, that one's fun. It's fun. Uh, it's great. It's I, not five uh, Definitely not five minutes. Man, talking about Electric Ladyland, man, what an album that is. There are so many fantastic songs on that album, uh, including a uh, the song that this was developed from. Uh, so this is Voodoo Child's Slight Return. There is another song on there called Voodoo Child, C-H-I-L-E. Uh, Voodoo Chile. Yep, Voodoo. The country. Voodoo Voodoo Chile. Chile. Uh, it is a much bluesier track that's nearly 15 minutes long, so I spared you that one. Uh, I like you this can spare more. Spare me, uh, I like that song. I actually, yeah. I've heard that one. Yeah, I, I, this is this version is much much more upbeat, uh, more up tempo. They're uh, kind of rocking a bit harder than it is in the bluesier direction, and this is ultimately the version that goes a little more well known, a little hard to get radio play on a 15 minute song. <laughs> certainly in the 60s 
I don't uh, think it happens very often. No, uh, unless you're Can't in Agata Devita. You know, uh, but in hey, Devita. Nobody yeah. plays that song. Not anymore. Um, but yeah, the uh, this one, uh, I I think guitar solo work in here is fantastic. Uh, you know, lyrics are fun. It's just a great upbeat, high energy song. Uh, great use of wah wah pedal and everything. Um, just mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. really fun song. I like a lot. Most importantly, here, aside from just me liking the song, most of the guitar stuff on this song was improvised during the recording. Just incredible. Which is insane. Truly, never been anyone else like Jimi Hendrix. No. Just absurd. Just one obvious. Yeah, still, to this day, maybe the best guitarist of all time. Big fan. Who, who knows what he could have done if he had lived past twenty-seven? Yeah. Rest but in this. Peace. Uh, if you want to talk about guitar solos on this list, anyway, in my opinion, the I think the best exi- best example of solo work here is uh, is in this song. It is a very good song. It's hard to argue. Jimi Hendrix was a massive talent. I Not too it. soon, for sure. But yeah, that's the. I don't have a ton else to say about it. It's just a. It's a great, great song. I really, really like mm-hmm. it. You should go listen to it. Top ten guitar solos. Maybe someday. Top ten Jimi Hendrix song. Maybe there's someday got, we'll do that. There's something in there. There's something. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's my number five. What's your number four? My number four is at five minutes eighteen seconds. Black Hole Sun I by Soundgarden. Song. As you should. Amazing song. It was written by a frontman, Chris Cornell. Also, rest in peace. The song was re- released in 1994 as the third single from the band's fourth studio album, Super Unknown. is considered to be the band's signature song. And it yeah, topped the definitely. Billboard album Rock Tracks chart, where it spent a total of seven weeks at number one. I, I of all the Chris Cornell projects, right? Because there's a number of other bands that he is a part of. I, I actually think Audio Slave was one of the better ones. Yeah, this is um, good Audio Slave stuff. Like a Stone, great song. Um, but Black Hole Sun just it sticks with you. There's something about it that feels like they were trying really hard on the song. And then in my research, I learned that is absolutely not the case. And so let me get into that a little bit here. Uh, First, though, it topped the Billboard album Rock Tracks chart, where it spent a total of seven weeks at number one, despite peaking at number two on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. Black Hole Sun finished as the number one track of 1994 for that listing. So it it never even hit number one, but somehow it became number one, probably because of its lengthy stay at number two. So worldwide, the single reached the top 10 in many countries, Australia, Canada, France, Ireland. Uh, Anyway, uh, Black Hole Sun was written by Chris Cornell. And in 2014, he explained that the song's origins were more. He said, I wrote it in my head driving home from Bear Creek Studio in Woodenville, a 35 to 40 minute drive from Seattle. It sparked something from a news anchor said on TV, and I heard wrong. I heard blah, 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 black hole sun, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that would make an amazing song title. 
but yeah. what would it sound like? And it all came together. Pretty, pretty much the whole arrangement, including the guitar solo that's played beneath the riff. He said, I spent a lot of time spinning those melodies in my head so I wouldn't forget them. I got home, and I whistled it into a dictaphone. And the next day, I brought it into the real world, assigning a couple of key changes in the verse to make the melodies more interesting. Then I wrote the lyrics, and that was similar, a stream of consciousness based on the feeling I got from the chorus and title. And, uh, yeah, he said he he wrote that song in pretty much about 15 minutes. (laughs) There you go. So he used a a Gretsch, Gretsch guitar to write the song and commented, I wrote the song thinking the band wouldn't like it. Then it became the biggest hit of the summer and possibly of his career. It's weird how things like that work out. I, I guess you never know what's really going to hit. And in this case, he created a, just a, a song with a lot of stay power. There's, there's a number of radio stations I think that still play this song and probably will continue to play this song for as long as they can. And I remember on the, the day that he died, uh, of which I think he was, had just performed in Detroit. Yeah. And, and they discovered him. I, the radio stations here in Detroit, at least were playing this song as well as a lot of his songs kind of on loop on that day and and just talking about him memories and uh but this song i think hits a little bit differently after his passing and on that day in particular i probably listened to that song about five times and it really just now every time i listen to it i think about yeah that event in particular and it hits a little bit harder and i know it has now i know it was not intended to be that kind of a song, but people read into things like that and they hear what they want to hear. And as a result, it's, it just becomes its own thing. It's hard to explain, but it's a feeling you get when you hear something like that, an emotional connection to an event. And I have other songs like that for me where I hear a song and I think of someone else that passed away, but. This one say, in particular, uh, I think of him. Uh, it's the concept of death of the author, right? A little bit, except that's intended in a non-literal fashion. That's a more right? metaphoric death. But in this case, it's both. Crazy. So yeah, rest I was going to say, Chris uh, Cornell. I was, before you uh, talked about the death of Chris Cornell, I was going to make an irreverent joke about, are you sure you didn't want to choose Spoon Man? Spoon Man. But, uh, also, uh, a top hit from, I think, 1994 for them. Um, yeah, it's the same album. Yeah. Uh, also, not over five minutes. You couldn't have chosen that one. No, uh, great song, though. I like that song. I think it's great. It's, it's kind of goofy. It, uh, it's, it, not, it's not bad, certainly. Well, yeah, it's, of it's course it's goofy, goofy but it uh, also gets you, radio You could have chosen, I, I think, I'm pretty sure you could have chosen uh, Jesus Christ Pose. I believe that's longer than five minutes. Oh, yeah. And it's another good one. Yeah, Chris Cornell was a very talented artist. And I felt like, even though he was apparently kind of goofy with the way he wrote lyrics or pieced songs together, he had a knack for it. And musically, he was very good. So I'm, I'm happy to include this song on my top four. I, I didn't even think about it initially. And then, yeah, going through, I'm like, dang, that song is over five minutes. I really like that song. 
And the more I thought about it and thought about the connection, I'm like, this this is a top ten song for me. So what's the song that he did with the Pearl Jam guy? Temple the Dog. Eddie, That's the group they did. Eddie Vedder, you mean? Yeah, right? Yeah. What do you Oh, Temple of the Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temple of the Dog. What's the what's the what's the Temple of the Dog song? That's over five minutes, isn't it? Uh, you're you're testing me now, and I'm not. It's not hunger strike. Is it hunger strike? Is that I'm going hungry? Oh my He's god! He's going hungry. Is that over five minutes? I think that's over five minutes. Nope, it's not. Never mind. I'm wrong. That song's also not great. <laughs> I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, but it's certainly think... no Black Hole Sun. No, definitely not. Um, Maybe that song just feels like it's over five minutes because it just is this. It's the same thing for a lot of the song. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Going hungry. Uh, No, and I did note that it is not my favorite Chris Cornell song in particular. That "Audio Slaves Like a Stone" and maybe "Show Me How to Live." "Show Me How to Live" was very good. Kochi's is good too. Like a stone. Yeah, Kochi's is really good. Um, I I like that one a lot. And uh, there, there was one more. I think it was off of that same. It's that that first Audio Slave album is the one album. You want. Um, it's, that's which, the one you want. Which album is that? Do you remember? I think it's just called Audio Slave. Isn't I, it? I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway, like a stone, one that I could have added here. Had it been over five minutes, I believe the I looked it up. The official runtime of that one's just under five minutes. It's like. 455 or something it's very close but unfortunately did not quite make the cut and therefore i did not include it on the list but black hole sun i'm i have no problems including this on the list what's your number four my number four is the second longest on my uh on my list and another one that you didn't know ahead of time this is a 12 and a half minute song from the decemberists band i've mentioned before and will mm-hmm. likely mention again on this show uh from their 2006 album the crane wife this is another similar to that snow patrol song i mentioned earlier this is another kind of title and then three-part song uh this is the island colon come and see slash the landlord's daughter slash you'll not feel the drowning um i'm gonna say mild content warning on this one you might want to skip ahead a little bit uh there's some implied sexual violence in this that i'm going to talk about so yeah. Uh, if you don't want to listen to that, we're going to skip a little bit, maybe skip a little bit ahead. So, uh, the Decemberists are no strangers to really long songs. Uh, most notably, they put out an EP that is one song called The Tain. That's like 26 minutes long. Not, uh, you know, not my favorite. So that's not included here. But uh, those songs are frequently structured in a longer way for them to accommodate the stories that they're telling. They're a very narrative heavy band. A lot of a lot of storytelling in most of their songs, I would say. Uh, they had multiple entries, a whole bunch of different entries that I considered to include on the main list. I knew right away that one of these was going to make the list, and ultimately the one that I land on was The Island, because it's probably my favorite one of those overall. Uh, so there, this album that this is on, The Crane Wife, draws inspiration from uh, a bunch of different historical sources, uh, the Japanese folklore, the Siege of Leningrad, uh, Northern Ireland paramilitary actions in the 70s. There's, they're kind of all over the place here. 
uh, in some interesting ways. But amongst these historical tales, they take time for the island. It's a 12 and a half minute, three part story about kidnapping, rape, and murder inspired by uh, the Shakespeare play, The Tempest. Hmm. So the track opens with the first part titled Come and See. Uh, lead singer Colin Melloy sets the stage for the events that are going to play out for the rest of the song. Uh, we're on a mysterious, untamed island filled with ominous silence, ancient bones, and abandoned structures. Those who come and witness its sights know they will not come home again. The lyrics also make a time period apparent here. And this and other parts of the song, there's references to like affixing bayonets and drawing pistol and saber, seemingly placing the events hundreds of years ago. Uh, it also directly references Sycorax, which is a character mentioned in The Tempest. Uh, she's a, a especially powerful witch that is the uh, mother to a character who is also relevant to this song. Musically, this part is more guitar-driven, and there's kind of like mysterious melodies in the verses with the guitar here, kind of drawn-out riffs and stuff like that. Uh, and then from here, we move on to the second part, second part titled The Landlord's Daughter, which is a much more raucous, kind of organ-driven tune. Uh, the singer here details how he spies the landlord's daughter down by the water, uh, takes out his weapons and kidnap, kidnaps her, telling her not to scream or he will kill her. Uh, she begs to be released, saying she will pay him for letting her go, but he says uh, gold isn't what he wants. Instead, the line is, I'll take those sweet lips. Uh, this is a shorter musical section uh, and ultimately kind of crescendos into higher pitched cries from the singer while uh, organist Jenny Conley is going absolutely nuts on the organ. This is some very, very good stuff there uh, at the, the really the peak of this song. That portion of the song reminded me of Boston a lot. Sure. Like yeah, foreplay that, that, long time that yep. like very similar feel. For sure, there's uh, a lot of you know organ-heavy melody here uh, that we see in both the both those songs for sure. So uh, that wasn't something that I had necessarily thought explicitly about as I put this list together, but I guess I like some good some good organ stuff. You definitely have a, a type of music that you enjoy. Sure, you know uh, that organ solo and stairway. Yep, absolutely, everyone's favorite um, use of the instrument. Uh, so this segment also references elements from the Tempest. Uh, the singer in this case seems to be Caliban, who's a character in that, who is the the daughter of, or sorry, the the son of Sycorax, the the witch I mentioned earlier. Uh, he is half man, half monster. Who within that story is uh, talks about wanting to rape Prospero's daughter Miranda. So that's kind of echoing those pieces here. Uh, from there, the song concludes with You'll Not Feel the Drowning, uh, which is driven by soft guitar, piano, and cello. Here, the singer from the previous part seems to be singing about singing to the kidnapped daughter uh, about how he's going to drown her. Uh, it's not angry in a way that you might assume from a song that's like, hey, I'm going to kill you, uh, but it's almost more resigned, and there's like a kind of like a almost a sadness on it from the part of the singer here. It was like, this is something that I'm going to do, and it's kind of sad that I got to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh. Um, you know, there's there's the general tone being like, hey, there's nothing you can do. Don't worry yourself. You'll be dead soon, and you won't have to worry anymore. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry so, I have to do this to you, but it's just got to be done. 
Yeah. Uh, some of the some of the straight lyrics here. Uh, Forget you once had sweethearts. They've forgotten you. Thank you not on parents. They've forgotten too. Go to sleep now, little ugly. Go to sleep now, you little fool. Forty winking in the belfry. You'll not feel the drowning. It's a sad and poignant end to an ultimately tragic tale here. But, uh, you know, the, and like I said before, they've done this sort uh, story, you know, before this and after this, this kind of like larger song s- story here. Uh, but I think this is one of their most poignant ones they've done and uh, one of my favorite songs overall from this band. So number four, The Island. I really enjoy it. So you were correct in that this is this was the first time that I had listened to the song. Uh, I can tell you uh, of all the ones on your list that I hadn't heard before. I think I enjoyed this one the most. Interesting. This one was very good. There's a lot going on here. There is, but even the beginning kind of had a little bit of a jam band, grateful dead kind of feel. Yeah, and, I, I didn't really talk about that a lot because, like, it's technically part of that first part of the come and see, but it kind of opens with a musically different part. It's it, mm-hmm. it could almost be considered like a fourth part to the song. You know, sure. it's kind of like a, a kind of intro. a jam. A, it's like a two minute jam to start uh, to start the song off. Yeah, so it goes from the jam and then uh, the nice opening piece of come and see, followed by this foreplay longtime boston type feel and then it goes into the really soft spoken i really like the acoustic guitar and the cello together Mm -hmm. the piano you know whatever but the acoustic guitar and the cello in Mm. particular it's like wow this is really good and i thought that all of them together to be forming one story in one piece it made a lot of sense and I really enjoyed it. I, in fact, I may even be adding this into my own personal rotation, and I don't wow. listen to the Decemberist currently. Not really. Yeah. It's like I said, one of my favorites from them. If you, if you like this good style, if you like this style, you might like their fifth album, the one that came out after this, uh, which is titled "The Hazards of Love." And the whole thing is essentially uh, one story, start to finish. It's a rock, basically a rock opera, uh, and definitely some similar stylistic things to it's almost i would say the island is almost like a first go for them at that kind of storytelling you know Uh maybe not the first go they had um their album previous to this beaker-esque has a song laid in it called the mariner's revenge song which is not nearly as long as this i think it's closer to eight minutes but is a tale about um a mariner seeking revenge on someone who ruined his mother's life so and that that's also very good, but not quite the scale of what's going on here or what came eventually on the hazards of love. So right. all three of those great record, I, I think really good recommends, but stylistically, uh, hazards of love is a little bit closer to what you'll see what you've what you've heard on the island. Then I might have to check it out. Good recommendation. Good addition. Thanks. But yeah, number four. Even for a twelve island. minute song. Yeah, plus. it's 12 and a half. Almost, yeah. Lengthy. But so yeah, yeah that's, that's number four. Uh, let's move on to your number three. Sure. My number your, three. Your late, your late game pivot, number three. Well, so, yeah. 
sort of a late game pivot, right? Number three was already on my list. It was at number two. And then I realized that my number three was maybe more like 459, depending on who you ask. And so I said, well, nope, I actually need to swap it out for this other song by the same band on the same album. Very close second for me. Very close. But in listening to it, I realized, you know what? I actually like this better than I like my current number two, and so I swapped the places. So, all that is to say, my number three, and this was, this was very tough, because of all the songs that I had considered for, or all the bands that I had considered for this list, I would say this band probably came up the most. I think I had the most entries and honorable mentions from this band. But, yeah. So that band is Pink Floyd. And the... Well, who hasn't? The song in particular is not one that most people would think of, but it is a personal favorite of mine, and that is Have a Cigar at 5 minutes and 7 seconds. Yeah, this is the second and final item on your list that I had not listen to and also i had never even heard of this song yeah not one of their more popular ones but this i really really like this song and let me tell you why right and there's a lot of things here and reasons why i like it but let me give you some background on it the the song's music and lyrics were written by roger waters as were many of the songs but it was in critique of the hypocrisy and greed within the music business and it's blatantly obvious in these lyrics they're not hiding these lyrics at all and waters has frequently implied it to be a follow-up to the song money also a very good song with the the lyrics representing the demands of a record executive after the runaway success of the dark side of the moon however the song is actually sung by roy harper not roger waters and waters only played bass on this track Now, for those of you who don't know, Roy Harper is an English folk rock singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and he has released 22 studio albums and 10 live ones across a career that stretches back to 1966. And as a musician, Harper is known for his distinctive fingerstyle playing and lengthy lyrical complex compositions reflecting his love of jazz and the poet John Keats. And he is maybe most well-known for his part in singing this song. Uh, in, in his book, Pigs Might Fly, The Inside Story of Pink Floyd, author Mark Blake recounts that David Gilmore had been unwilling to sing the lead vocal as he did not share Waters' opinions as expressed in the lyrics, which I, I find not that shocking, but a little shocking that he was unwilling to sing it for that reason that he w- he was at least frustrated enough with them to say, you know what, I can't sing this. But he said on the nature of the music industry in general, but Waters has since said that he dislikes Harper's version, saying he would have liked it to emerge as a more vulnerable and less cynical version. And he added that Harper's version was too parodic, while Gilmore... David Gilmore said he actually loved Harper's vocal delivery and called it the perfect version. But I think that's just because those two are kind of at odds these days, it seems. And Gilmore in particular, having 
not wanting to sing that song, I, I guess he's just okay with Harper's version. So, but yeah, nevertheless, the song begins with kind of a hey, folks, Josh dropping in here during the edit. Uh, unfortunately, during this recording, Scott was getting hit by a really bad storm that resulted in us not being able to hear, hear each other on our Discord call. So at this point, we dropped out of the call and back in, hoping that might fix it. So there's a little bit of a cut here. Okay, so uh, for those who maybe are not as familiar with this song, like Josh, the song begins with a churning riff played on electric guitar and bass and is filled out with additional guitar, electric piano, and synthesizer parts to kind of create a rock texture. And it concludes with a guitar solo, which is abruptly interrupted by a synthesizer filter sweep sound, which, as the music reduces in volume, becomes tinny AM radio-like levels. Yeah, that and, surprised me. And and then it, when at the, song the hit very end, it's the sound of a radio being dialed off station, and the effect is used as like a transition to the title track wish you were here so so fun yeah. fact while i was listening to this uh i had started um in in my living room uh and i uh need to use the restroom so i went to the restroom was still listening to the song at that point and hit the end of the song and that sound effect came up and everything and another song happened and i was like did something weird happen to because I couldn't see what was happening on on my computer screen at that point, sure. since where I was listening to it, um, and I was like, Did "Something weird happened." Oh crap! I think the song messed up. I gotta go check it, and then I realized, like, "Oh no, that's just the end of the song." That is the song. Yeah, <laughs> so I was. It's confused. weird. It, it's weird, but it's the only way I know the song, and I think it it's a nice little touch, and I like the transition using kind of that effect. I think it's yeah. Cool. It's, a, it's certainly unique. not a criticism. I was just like. Ah, crap, something weird's going on. I got to get out. <laughs> so my favorite line in the entire song, at one point, they're specifically referencing somebody, some businessman from the music industry that they're working with, and he is quoted as saying, oh, and by the way, which one's pink? And I just think it's that line in particular is a clear indication that they were fed up with the greedy music industry. and. I just think this song represents that perfectly. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I love your band. You're going to go so far. Oh, by the way, which one of you guys is pink? Oh, okay. Nope. That's actually a reference. Little known fact is a reference to a Canadian pop singer, Pink. My wife loves pink. I, I can't. I can't do pink. Mm. Not, not a fan. Yeah. Just very, very girl power song related. Mm. My wife likes a lot of those songs. I don't know. I don't mind it. I think she's quirky and kind of funny. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Pink Floyd and this song, Have a Cigar, which, like I said, not one of their more well-known songs. But this song, I just, it, it feels like they're sending a message and they're doing it unabashedly. And I like that a lot. I think it, it shows a lot of their prowess. and yeah. The how they had reached a, a certain level and just didn't care. They're like, you know what, we're going to say this. So Pink Floyd for me is um, kind of a weird um, black hole in my mu- classic rock music knowledge. 
Like a black I've, hole sun or? No, it's more of a black hole of, I just have never listened to much Pink Floyd at all. Huh. Um, I might like a lot of their stuff. I don't know. I just have never really gotten around to digging into their catalog. I, of course, know stuff like Another Brick in the Wall. You know. Which, fun fact, that was our class song. It sure was. <laughs> we don't need no education is the lyric I, there. If, I, uh, which... That is thanks to me. Actually, really? I don't think I ever knew that. I was the one that jokingly said we should make that our song because I thought there's no way the school would allow it and mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. But you know what? People voted for it and it won. <laughs> so That's joke's on me, funny. I guess. I, pretty funny. I mean, I voted for it, so <laughs> it wasn't going to be the... What's the other song that everybody votes for? Either Good Riddance, Time of Your Life, which yeah, is not no, a graduation no. song uh, by Green Day, or the, uh, what was it? Is it the Vitamin C song? I know there's I some graduation song. It might even be called Graduation Song. You know what? You're not missing anything. It's so cliche and over the top and very 90s, and I just, I'm not. We don't need that. But, Odds are I'd rather listen to that than Green Day. Well, a lot of the other songs that people had on there were country songs. And I was like, yeah, I really nope. don't want a country song. Nope. And so I was happy to have that as an addition. I think Good Riddance Time of Your Life was also on there as a I would have choice. voted for, if, the, if you want to talk about country songs, uh, one I would have voted for would be uh, Folsom Prison Blues. As a graduation song. Yep. Okay. That's one of the only country songs I would have uh, would vote for. Fair enough. I don't think it's a graduation song, but you know what? That nope. was that was like fifteen years ago, so probably not relevant at this point. Shot a man in Reno. Just watch him die. Good for you. What's your number three? My number three is not Pink Floyd or Johnny Cash or Green Day. Does Johnny Cash even have a song over five minutes? Uh, maybe. Probably not. That doesn't Probably seem not. like his style as much. No. I couldn't What's your number one three? off the top of my head. What's your my number three, number three actually is a band I deeply love, but kind of a weird instance of a song from them. Uh, not the only song that they have over six minutes, although they have five minutes, although they don't have a ton. Um, narrowly beat out what the a, other. What a build up. Bon Iver is the band. Bon Iver. Uh, yeah, Bon Iver. Although in this performance, um it is just Justin Vernon, uh the lead singer, performing here. Uh doing a cover, uh a blended cover of two Bonnie Raitt songs. Uh I Can't Make You Love Me and Nick of Time. Uh notably, this is the only song on my list that didn't isn't like a traditional album release. This was put out as a YouTube video. Just kind of got dropped on YouTube. Uh, it's out there. You can hmm. go watch it still. Um, kind of like Rap God by Eminem. Yeah, but that was like a, uh, like a full-on single pre-release. Wasn't yeah. released on an album. <laughs> this wasn't ever put on an album or anything. This is just out there. You just go, here's the YouTube video that uh, Justin Vernon playing this song on piano and singing. Uh, I He's Eminem. Absolutely uh, no. Um, I absolutely love this performance here. This is absolutely incredible. I 
not was not familiar with any Bonnie Raitt stuff prior to this. Uh, and uh, the, the just think incredibly beautiful piano piece. And, you know, uh, I, I really like Justin Vernon's falsetto here. Uh, he, he, he does that in a lot of different songs. I guess if you're not into that, you probably won't enjoy this. But for me, totally lands incredibly beautiful. Um, the tone of the song, pretty evident from the title here. Um, the singer is lamenting how they realize they can't make the object of their affections love them, and that's breaking their heart. Uh, they sing about sharing an intimate moment with the person, knowing ultimately that it can't last, even if this was a real thing. That was, It's unclear, you know, if is this like a, a real event that they've experienced, or are they just imagining all of this? Uh, they So they sing about sharing some kind of intimate moment with with this person they know that it can't last and then during the during that just kind of grappling with how do i move past this i realize i can't be hung up on this person forever but i don't know what i don't know how to move past this um so it's sad you know it's a it's a it's a sad song and i i i just this landed really effectively for me. Just this, especially the piano work here, uh, is it's one of my favorite piano pieces. Uh, Justin Vernon is, you know, full on, perhaps in in his falsetto, maybe more than any of the any of his other songs, uh, and he's occasionally dipping out of that into lower tones for like some really powerful contrast at specific parts of the song, but. One of my favorite all-time piano pieces. One of my favorite cover songs ever. Uh, really meaningful to me in a lot of ways, just emotionally, as like a song uh, I listened to a whole lot when it came out uh, in 2011. What did you think about this? You hadn't listened to this before. That's correct. This was the first time. And before I tell you my thoughts on this song, I have to know, do you okay. have some kind of personal event or connection to this song that it makes it hit especially hard is no. that why you like it so much no there's not like a, i'm i this i certainly have i think everyone does certainly have songs that are explicitly tied to different uh emotional events or memories in my life we've talked about some of that on previous episodes where we talked about music before right hmm. top 10 sad songs this isn't one of those for me. The, I just think the the nature of the lyrics, the 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 performance on piano, the 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 type of vocals and everything that are happening here, they all just landed square on for me. Uh, and uh, I I like a lot of melancholy songs. Uh, we may be hearing another one next on my list, perhaps. But that whole, uh, the whole band on number two is melancholy yeah. that's the band yeah, very okay very sure if they uh, were a band that's what they would be all that being said i really don't like this song wow. bon Iver, i i just cannot stand his voice wow. and when he hit the falsetto it was like nails on a chalkboard for me in particular wow. and i'm i'm not joking i i really had to stop i paused the video i stopped and i thought Okay, you got to power through this. Josh really likes this song. Give it a real shot. And so I kept going. I made it all the way to the end. I'm like, I'm never listening to this song again. I wow. do not like Bon Iver. 
or at least in particular these vocals and mm-hmm. that falsetto it just it was it was really rough for me not a band for everyone certainly so i don't i don't know i haven't really listened to probably any of their other stuff unless you've sent me or li- i've listened maybe one or two other things in the past but i can't think of anything and from what i understand based on what you said and from some of the comments that i was reading other people kind of have a similar reaction you, some people just can't stand the voice for some reason yeah there's different different singers out there like for example i can't listen to eminem i his voice makes me want to puncture my eardrums you know not singing per se he's rapping but i just i cannot stand his voice or like um bon scott from uh acdc i can't Mm. i just can't some people can't 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 listen to rush Sure. Yeah. Getty Lee. Weird voice. I like it. Other people don't. My dad, my dad will not listen to Rush. He hates the, hates his voice. Okay. Well, unfortunately for me, Bon Iver is a hard pass. And gotcha. that's okay. You can be wrong. This song was very off-putting. Well, What's I'd agree with two? you, but then we'd both be wrong. What's your number two? My number two, after a little bit of last minute shuffling, Uh, Let's say I had an entry on here by My Chemical Romance, and it was Famous Last Words, which I thought was exactly five minutes, and I was very happy to learn that fact. Turns out it's probably more like 4.59, and that's just a disqualifier. I mean, that's a five-minute song. right, Right on the edge. It is, so I am sad to say that Famous Last Words, which is one... One of it's my great favorite song. My Chemical Romance. It's a Romance great song. Songs. Yeah, it's just, it's incredible. But, you know what is over five minutes? Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Black Parade. Unwittingly, you've made yourself a stronger argument here because I think this song is way better than Famous Last Words. Well, that's good because I, and listening to it, I, turns out I kind of agree with you because I moved it up on my list. It's now number yeah. two. So, yeah, great welcome song. to the black braid by my chemical romance at five minutes and 11 seconds certainly uh, on my honorable mentions and was considered for a top 10 spot but sure ultimately wasn't wasn't quite up to snuff for me oh but but man this song builds so let me get yep. into it a little bit it has been described as emo pop punk alternative rock hard rock it's it's a mix of a whole bunch of things and my Chemical Romance started writing the song since their start as a band, but it, in kind of a different style. And then it was inspired and heavily influenced by Frank Sinatra's My Way, which I didn't know. And it was Weird. much slower. Uh, but at that time, it was actually called The Five of Us Are Dying. Yeah, that sounds like an MCR title. Right. But the band uh, did not include it in their first two albums due to their feeling that it was just incomplete so after moving to la and to make and moving on to make their third album they added a fast punk beat and changed the lyrics and altered the chords of the chorus which in my mind like doing all those things i get that they had like the elements of the song prior to that but it seems like they changed enough of it that they effectively wrote a different song but they're calling it all part of the same song it's complicated it, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to understand the process because I'm not a songwriter, but it seems like, anyway, it doesn't matter. The recording process was, quote, very complex due to the many layers in the song, but it was also fun, according to guitarist Ray Toro, who extolled the end result. 
and he said, my two favorite tracks are Welcome to the Black Parade and Famous Last Words. And he's got wow. just a good, good, cho- good uh, choice in, in his own music. He said, Welcome to the Black Parade is like our Bohemian Rhapsody. It is probably the most epic song on the record, and I love how it came together. Yeah, just really, really good. And if you've ever listened to the beginning of this song, that nice little drum, you know. Sure. Oh, so, and it builds up Speak, nicely. Speaking of fun drum songs. <sighs> Man, I remember being on the bus heading to a travel soccer game. And one of the other guys that was on the bus and on the soccer team was a drummer in our, our band. And he was, he had some drumsticks with him that he kept in his soccer bag and he would just practice kind of on his lap as we're traveling. Cause that was his way of just warming up mentally. He would put headphones in and just like, yeah, play some drum beats. And he was really going to town and I looked over and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, what are you listening to? And he said, Oh, welcome to the black parade. And I'm like, what? You like that song? I love that song. He's like, yeah, no, the, the drums in this song are incredible i'm like oh good i'm glad you like it they're hard and then you know went back to mental prep so the song became the group's first number one in the uk in 2006 and it stayed there for two weeks and later rose to number one on the modern rock charts also in 2006 where it would stay for seven weeks and it is the band's most enduring success and their highest charting single to date on the billboard hot 100 peaking at number nine The song ranked at 17 on Rolling Stone's The 100 Best Songs of 2006, and it was nominated for the Kerrang! Award for Best Single. And the song was made downloadable for Rock Band and Guitar Hero Warriors of Rock. ITV used the song in a video montage in its final Formula One broadcast at the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix after losing the rights to broadcast F1 in 2009 and beyond to the BBC. The video featured several prominent F1 drivers, whose names I don't really know. I think Sebastian Vettel maybe is one that I know and was in there. As well as ITV producers and retired commentator Murray Walker lip-syncing to the song. The song was also used by the LA Kings during the 2012 Stanley Cup playoffs as part of a video intro at the team's home games. And the song also opened up the team's Stanley Cup Champions Rally and banner-raising ceremony at the Staples Center. Furthermore, the song was featured in the Season 1 finale of Apple TV's Mythic Quest. The song was featured in the ending scene of the Netflix TV series Lucifer, and the opening scene to the film Clerks 3. The Yes Network used the song during a New York Yankees montage at the start of their opening day broadcast in 2023. So, still relevant. And British singer Bishop Briggs sang this song on the season nine finale of The Masked Singer, a show that I am not currently watching at all. So, yeah. With this song, Welcome to the Black Parade, I've known, of, known this song for years, years and years. It's a years. great song. I, and when I first heard it, I was like, instantly, man, they really did something special with this song. I, I hit a point with uh, hearing this song and I went, wait, this is good. 
but My Chemical Romance historically for me has been not good. What happened? And I think what happened is they were like, what if we made our song sounds like our, this album sound a little bit more like Queen? And for whatever reason, that's the magic ingredient for me to go, oh, I really like this album, actually. Yeah, something about the early piano building into a little bit of a drum, building into like a whole band playing, building mm-hmm. into just like the breakdown into ultimately like the death sequence at the end and then just a little bit of tapping to kind of round it out on the the snare and it's like wow this is and the messaging in it it's very strongly worded to be reflective of his relationship to his father and his dad and him I, i think it's pretty obvious in their songs they did not have a great relationship but it seems like he at least believed in him enough to be something eventually as contentious as it was. And I think he also passed away from cancer and I don't remember when, but um, before this song came out for sure. Um, And so it's, there's an emotional connection here where he's reflecting on, you know, I lost my dad, but he challenged me to be a better person to, to lead, and he's talking about leading the Black Parade, of course, but maybe just a metaphor for the the life that he was hoping that he would have his son lead for him. So I, I think it's just really powerful stuff. And then when it breaks and then it goes into the rock portion from there, I think it's just a a wonderful summary of, okay, we've challenged you. Now go do the things that you want to to do and be a part of. And then you know, after the end, it's carry on and it's him singing that portion and then slowly fading out. We'll carry on. We'll carry on. It's, it's like he's accepted that his father challenged him to lead this better life and he's going to do his best to, to be and do whatever that is. And I think after my dad passed away, there was even a little bit of relation of the messaging in this song to to my own life. And I think that's probably what's really endured it for me as a, just a staple. I mean, it's a beautiful song, but that personal connection is what really, for me at least, drives my want to listen to songs over and over and over again. And yeah, this is a, a strong instance of that. So no, I think uh, it's a, uh, like I said, I, I really like this song. And I think other thing worth noting here is uh, I don't think I can tie a specific, a specific uh, fashion movement directly to one song more than I can with this song. Mm. And that's the marching band emo kid look that they that they essentially do. You know, are they the first people to do that sort of exact sort of thing? Probably not. But this certainly popularized that to an absurd degree. You know, yeah. It it was like gothic meets emo meets marching band. Yep. They had the 
I think he had the blonde hair in that one, right? Yep. And and then he had the bone rib cage straight jacket or like marching band jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a interesting phenomenon that happened around this exact song specifically. And I I think you got to credit part of that just with how good this song is cuz it it certainly won me over to start enjoying music from a band that I hate honestly strongly disliked most everything they had done before this uh and made me go like oh okay maybe i need to reevaluate and like go back and listen to their old stuff and i did i i gave their old stuff more of a chance at that point and i still didn't like it but boy this album's good i almost forgot to mention the guitar solo there's a really good guitar solo during the break on this it's not a super long one but i i think it just accentuates the messaging really well so it's a nice compliment to it. Not winning any awards as a guitar solo, but I like just kind of like pretty much everything about this song. It punches right at that ending. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I am a little bit surprised it's not on your top ten. It's not the one that I, I thought would have been on your top ten, but I I did know you liked that song. Yeah. Uh, I'm. It was a smart pivot at the end. And and to be clear, I do like famous last words. I think that is also a good song. I think there's multiple other songs on that album that are better. Uh, but Black Parade is probably the second best song. Ooh, what, what's the best in your opinion? I have a real soft spot for Mama. I think that song is extremely weird and messed up in ways that uh, I really like. I like that song, too. It's very good. I don't know that this is my favorite album, though. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge has a lot of really strong tracks. I don't like it. anything on it. <laughs> Which is, I just like the I just like Black Parade. Really don't like them all at all. Well, you don't like Helen, uh, Helena, Helena, Helena. Yeah. I'm not okay. You don't like that one? No, no. I I don't like a single MCR song before Black Parade, and I like everything on that album. So they just they pivoted mm. their song their sound pretty hard for that album, and it just landed for me. Sharpest Lives is also really good. I don't remember that one. Cancer. Not great. Teenagers is good. Uh, do you like? Oh, a dead house of wolves. I forgot about that. You know what? There's like, yeah. You know what? There's a lot of good songs on this album. I like the song "Cancer" quite a bit. I think that's a good piece. House of Wolves. I like that one a lot. I don't remember that one as much. And I think "Dead" was featured in Guitar Hero. That was in. I was only in the Xbox version of Guitar Hero Two. That's right. Which made me sad because I had the PlayStation Two yep, version. Same. But I remember being at somebody's house and they had the game and I'm I'm going through the track list and I'm like, wait, what is this song? Like Yeah, they put like what? they put like six more songs into the Xbox release because it came out like a year later. Which is so frustrating because it was like six good songs. And it's before DLC was a thing, so they it's not like you could have gone and bought them and downloaded them. Hey folks, uh, we had a bit of a mishap uh, during that previous recording. There was some severe storms in Scott's area, and they have utterly destroyed our ability to have a conversation over Discord. You're getting a ping of like 2,000-something, what you're saying? 2,200, yes. It was That's amazing. too much. That, that's past milliseconds. You're into actual seconds then. Yes. <laughs> It was rough. So what we, unfortunately, what we had to do is we had to stop our recording there last night. We are here the next day, 
and we're going to continue this conversation uh, and finish out this episode. I don't think it's going to so. be too disruptive. Everything's still pretty fresh in my mind, but at the yeah, same time... Yeah, it's not time, like we had to like come back a week later. Yeah, but at the same time, this isn't ideal. I'd really like to avoid this in the future, but you know what? Let's let the people decide. They can let us know if it was even noticeable. You know, we might be drawing attention to something that really didn't need to be drawn attention to. So I'll reprimand God for you. Who? All right. So why don't we jump over to your number two and continue from there? Absolutely. So number two, uh, this is square in my uh, the wheelhouse of my teens here. So angsty. Uh, we've talked about the band Death Cab for Cutie before, and I'm doing it again here. Hey, guess what? I, I like a lot of their stuff. Uh, we're going to their best album, which is titled Transatlanticism from 2003, and we're going to be- the best song on that album, which is also titled Transatlanticism. Hmm. Uh, this is a pattern you might see again in my number one. Wasn't I, f- I Will Follow You Into here. the Dark on that album? No, that is the next album, Plans. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, uh, you're right. This is their uh fifth studio album i believe translanticism I, I, I don't know what order anyway um but yeah uh hey this is one of my like this is a top 10 all-time album for me best song on that album absolutely love it uh so yeah this is this is i consider this to be like them at the height of their powers um Lead singer Ben Gibbard talks about the year before starting to create this album as the lowest year in his life, as he was burned out from touring for the previous album, had relationships fall apart, and was generally feeling terrible. And that's the energy that directly went into the creation of this album, and boy, you can sure tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, a huge amount of the album was focused on dead and dying relationships, uh, loneliness and grief and longing are the prevailing emotions here. And perhaps nowhere else do you see this more than in the title track, Transatlanticism. The song opens with melancholy prose about uh, the generation of an ocean via a rainstorm. And over the course of two verses, it becomes increasingly apparent that he's describing uh, this kind of growing ocean as a metaphor for the growing distance between the singer and the person in in the relationship. Uh, and so there's a line in the second verse that's uh, the rhythm of my footsteps crossing flatlands to your door have been silenced forevermore, and the distance is quite simply much too far for me to row. It seems farther than ever before. So, and then from there, the song kind of moves into just a really stripped down, simple refrain of uh, him saying, I need you so much closer. Uh, just kind of that longing kicking in there as he's realizing this relationship is falling apart and I don't know what to do. Uh, so, and, and, and this part of the song also is, it kind of kicks into this kind of simple chord progression, the band playing very softly at first, and then it kind of layers more and more like we talked about on a little bit previously here, entries on my list. Um, it just layers in more and more and more of itself, eventually kind of crescending crescendoing crescending that's not a word crescendoing into crescendo a into this like maelstrom there at the end uh and yeah i just it's a very good song i love this song i i think your affinity for this song proves that you were at least in part a little bit emo especially during your teen phase listen there's stuff in 
And your love for Welcome to the Black Parade also proves that. Yeah, exactly. So, so like though, like Death Cab and Black Parade as an album are my two biggest forays into emo. I think we talked about on a previous episode. They're both encroaching on emo from like completely opposite directions, and. If you if you head into the center of emo, I don't. I'm not into that. That's uh, that stuff never appealed to me. But like blending some of that elements in on the edges, that clicks for me in certain ways. It has been. I don't know if I can think of another band that kind of exists in that in between space that I really enjoy. Mm. You like the song "Miss Murder" like by too. AFI. That's pretty emo. Yeah, I don't really like any other AFI. That song's good, but that's that's pretty much it. Uh, senses fail. No. FCP remix have, uh, that's like on the edge. No, uh, that's a little more prog. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would Synth, say. Um, Ball of Troy. Ball of Troy. Um, okay. Census Fail has some good stuff. Ooh, you know, you just reminded me of another song. So it, you sent me this song. I obviously know this song. I know Death Cab, and I probably haven't listened to it in. 15 years and so i decided you know what i'm i'm gonna give this another listen just to refresh my memory and it's a very good song i i'm i might actually put it back into my rotation it's not my favorite by death cab because i really do like i will follow you into the dark but for completely different reasons and transatlanticism though is is just a really powerful track and yeah. i i agree with everything you said about it the the way it builds, the way that it crescendos, not crescends. And ultimately it's it's a solid addition and I'm I'm not very surprised to see it on your list. Definitely an all time all time favorite for me. I uh kind of last note I have to add here on Transatlanticism specifically. Uh you remember back during, you know, the heady days of early pandemic twenty twenty you know, and a different band started doing like their Zoom call covers of other songs, you know? Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Uh, so I thought a lot of those were not great, but the one, there's one in particular I did like, and uh, you may be familiar with the band Switchfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a cover of this song that was a, in the COVID Zoom call style. Uh, and it was quite good. They did a good job. I enjoyed it. It's not as good as the original, of course, but, you know, it was a good one. I don't know that I've heard that. I might have to go find it. That's probably out there on YouTube or something. Oh, definitely. But yeah, that's my number two, Transatlanticism. What have you got to Good choice. your number one? My number one, I, I think it was a pretty easy pick for me for a lot of reasons. Um, before I tell you what my number one is, though, I want to add one note here, and, and it's... In, I'm pretty sure the song has lots of notes. In my, it is a whole song after all. That you're not a dad. That was a terrible dad joke. All right. In my research for this episode, I think you'll be happy to know that there are in fact zero Fallout Boy songs that are over five minutes, and the longest Man. appears to be from their latest album at four minutes fifty one seconds. But I have not listened to it at all, so I don't even know if it's good or not. But it's not five minutes, so it didn't matter. Not a single Fall Out Boy. He once disqualified himself. So I, I did not pick a Fall Out Boy song for number one. 
Although, as I was Googling to see if there were any Fall Out Boy songs over five minutes, I got several lists of Fall Out Boy songs by number of letters in the title, and it was like 160 letters. And I'm like, oh my god, these titles are ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> yeah, they have, uh, they have the largest uh, average of those, probably, uh, in terms of the highest ratio of letters in song titles to popularity that's fallout point um it's it's probably up there well anyway i digress my number one and quite possibly one of the greatest songs ever bohemian rhapsody by queen at five minutes 55 seconds i'm not familiar Mm, okay well let me let me uh key you in on what this song is i definitely know I definitely know Bohemian Rhapsody. I know you do, and I have a story about it. So, we'll get into that. Mm. Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the most intricate and complex classic rock songs ever written. And the band truly took a risk on this song, adding the operatic vocals in the middle movement. And the ballad and the heavy metal sections are also quite amazing. And from its appearance on Wayne's World to a very recent biopic, I believe it was 2019, this song has been a strong part of each generation over the last 40-plus years since release. It, of course, prior to Wayne's World, had mixed reviews. It was only in Wayne's World, and the way that they used it, that they, Freddie saw it, approved it, and they kind of retook off from there. In December 2018, Bohemian Rhapsody officially became the most streamed song from the 20th century, surpassing Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit and Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine. Bohemian Rhapsody also became the most streamed classic rock song of all time. The number of downloads of the song and original video became or exceeded 1.6 billion downloads across global on-demand streaming services and the video surpassed 1 billion views on YouTube in July 2019 making it the oldest music video to reach 1 billion on the platform and the first pre-1990s song to reach that figure pretty significant in 2022 the single was selected by the U.S. Library of Congress for Preservation in the National Recording Registry as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And a quick shout-out to the Muppets for their rendition, as well as Weird Al's parody, which was the, I believe, the Bohemian uh, polka, the Rhapsody polka. Pretty good one. Uh, sure. But let's get into a more of a breakdown of the, the actual song, right? So the first section harmonies, right? Sure. We had heard stacked vocal harmonies before. Think, you know, the Beatles. It's pretty common there. The technical exactness, the quality of Freddie Mercury's voice in this section. Yes, it, it's all Freddie here. It's astounding. And I've often heard it, heard it referred to as an angel chorus. And I, I don't think that's that far off. Moving on to Brian May's guitar work, there are very few, if any, rock guitarists who have as distinctive a tone as Brian May. He did, after all, built his guitar himself with the help of his dad, so it is entirely unique. And combine that with his incomparable melodic solos, both in the slow part and later in the headbanging section, and you have classic rock and roll. 
Maybe best of all, though, are his quiet emotional riffs in the final movement of the song. The opera section climax and transition into heavy metal. And I mean, there had to be a way to transition out of a, an opera and back into heavy metal, and somehow Freddie found it. And it is supreme. The swell of music on that suspended chord ending with Roger Taylor's high tenor screeches, sheer brilliance. And it's nearly impossible not to be physically moved when the screech resolves into Brian May's roaring guitar solo. And there's a good reason why the headbanging scene in Wayne's World is what everybody remembers. It's what we all do. Moreover, we have Freddy's Prophecy. And this is something that I think rarely gets mentioned, but is one of the most chilling parts of the entire song. In the second verse, he says, It's too late. My time has come. Sent shivers down my spine, body aching all the time. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Got to leave you all behind and face the truth. Mama, ooh, I don't want to die. I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. How can you not listen to those lyrics and think of them as prophetic? The world knows that less than 20 years later, Freddie would die of symptoms related to AIDS, and in every way, this seems like he's. He's resolved himself to saying his regretful goodbyes and facing a painful death. And I think it adds an emotional depth, maybe coincidentally, that very few rock songs can actually rival. There's also universal appeal to this song. People of all types, in all genres, post reaction videos. Now, I don't find myself watching a ton of these, but let's... Let's look at some of the let's look at some of the ones that are out there. There are hip hop artists, there are professional musicians, there are other coaches, there are kids like Gen Z, Gen Alpha kids listening to it for the very first time because it was recommended to them. And the reactions on every single one of these from what I've seen is pretty similar. Everybody is blown away just by how incredible this song is. And you know what? Looking at it, let's, let's, just, let's just come right out and say it. Nobody is ever going to create anything like this ever again. I mean, the level of complexity, virtuosity of Bohemian Rhapsody is so far off the charts that it makes almost everything else laughable by comparison. Although most of the focus is on Freddie and Brian, Imagine the talent required by bassist John Deacon and drummer Roger Taylor to handle the changes in feel and tempo, not to mention Deacon's doubling of some of May's guitar runs, which is insane. And the bottom line, if you're not a musician but a lover of music, you intuitively understand that this music is remarkable, and there's a reason why it's viewed as a classic. But any good musician will tell you there's, there's nothing more badass than Bohemian Rhapsody. Specifically, us, do you remember the time during drama practice that we were waiting in the hallway and you and I, and I, maybe Cameron was there, I don't remember exactly who, but we, this is very we sang the entire song from start we to did. finish. Do you remember that? I do. Oh, see, I do too, because it was glorious. And I don't remember who was listening, but somebody said after they're like, holy crap, you guys are really good. And I was like, hey, thanks. And thinking to myself, man, I suck at singing. I don't know what that person's talking about. (laughs) But I didn't care because that was one of the first songs that I really 
learned, learned, start to finish, and felt a strong emotional connection to, and it stuck with me. And the song gives me chills every single time that I listen to it. And I listened to it probably three or four times, actually, while preparing for this. While I was writing this section, I listened to this song exclusively on repeat. And yeah, it does. It really does give me chills. It sends shivers down my spine, but my body's not aching all the time. I would hope not. So Not yet, anyway. Right. Too young for that. But all that is to say, I effing love this song. It is incredible. Start to finish. It tells a story. It builds to something. It has unique sections that no other song that I know of, at least, has. And at least the similar cultural impact that this song has had. And it becomes a comparison point. I mean, I even mentioned it during my Welcome to the Black Parade notes that they tried to make Black Parade their Bohemian Rhapsody. That is the gold standard. More, it's like the 10x platinum standard. So all that is to say, Bohemian Rhapsody might be one of the greatest songs ever written, not just over five minutes, but songs of all time. Completely incredible. Highly recommend. If you have not listened to this, I would almost pause listening to this podcast. Go listen to this song right now. I, I feel that strongly about it. You will thank me. That's all I got to say about that. You know, if, if our list here was the most important songs over five minutes, I would say very strong chance this could be my number one. But that's not the list. It is, in fact, the best. That is why it is my number one. It is the best song over five minutes. Best song to me, best song to a lot of people. And It's a very important song, and it's a very excellent song, I will say that. I think if I was looking at just top ten songs of all time, for me, it would be on that list, too. I don't know that it would be number one on that list, but it would definitely be in the top ten, maybe even top five. It uh, it's probably on my top twenty songs over five minutes. It's disappointing. I like it a lot. It's very good. It's not my favorite Queen song. No, it's not my favorite Queen song either. But but it's a, a an amazing Queen song. Wait a minute, hold on. Favorite Queen song on three. One, two, three. Killer Queen. Don't stop me now. Okay, don't stop me now. It's very good as well. Killer Queen's probably number two. Okay, very close. C- Killer Queen's incredible all right anyway no bohemian rhapsody though i mean this this song is it gives me chills to talk about it it's just such a strong emotional connection to it and if you if you didn't see the biopic that whole scene where they're recording this song it's pretty good and then they go and demand that it actually get play time and they're like we're not gonna play this song this song's like six minutes long He's like, no, no, this is the song. You're going to play this song. And they demanded it, and ultimately it worked out, and the rest is history. Turns out, people listen to a long song if it's good. Maybe even the best. What's your number one? Not that it matters. <laughs> uh, my number one is Irrelevant. longer yet than Bohemian Rhapsody. Nine minutes and 23 seconds. 
Uh, we're diving into, I knew this was going to end, this genre is going to end up somewhere on my list, and it landed at number one. Uh, uh, progressive? If you heard prog rock or prog metal? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there are several in my honorable mentions that in, are prog. In my, my mind, the number one band in the prog metal space is Tool. Certainly one of the most popular in that space. I'm familiar. From 2006, the album Lateralis has the title track of Lateralis. You don't pronounce it Lateralis? Lateralis? I don't think... I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it, actually. They don't say the word in the song. Maynard does not say this word in that song. Uh, But hey, this is easily a top ten song of all time for me. Probably even top five. I absolutely adore this song. Um, I came to Tool later. Um, you know, I wasn't listening to that type of music at all in the 90s when their early albums were coming out. Um, and I probably came to this album, Lateralist is the first time I listened to them. Um, like, uh, like probably when I was like 19 ish, 18, 19, right around there. And boy, this album really landed for me, a lot of the songs on it, but especially this one. Lateralis. I just looked it uh, up. It turns out they pronounce it Lateralis. Good to know. Uh, I, I could have made a whole side list just Tool songs, uh, because, boy, they have, um, more often than not, I would say, they have songs that are longer than five minutes, uh, especially in their later albums. There is, in fact, uh, one but, on my honorable mentions list, but it is not Lateralis. This, uh, I'll, special side note here, uh, this is not even the longest song on that album. They, there's like an 11 minute song on that album. Uh, so this, so what, what makes this song so special beyond that it kicks ass? It's structurally based on math, notably the Fibonacci sequence. If you're not familiar with the Fibonacci sequence, it's a mathematical pattern where each number in the sequence is the sum of the previous two. So it goes 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, etc. If you've heard of the golden ratio, that's related to this, mathematically. The meter of the verses ascends and descends the the Fibonacci sequence as it goes, in terms of the number of syllables, right? So, like, the first verse is black and white are all I see in my infancy, red and yellow then came to me, reaching out to me, lets me see. So it goes up and then back down. And the first portion of the song all of that matches and it's starting and stopping at different points along that, that sequence scaling up and down, which is just, it's really neat. It's not something that I noticed my first time listening through, but the, the song is structurally based on that core idea here. It's also represented in the time signature. The song moves uh, from uh, nine over eight time to eight, eight time to seven, eight time signature as it moves through its stages. And so, uh, so it goes nine, Eight seven nine hundred eighty seven is the sixteenth number in the Fibonacci sequence, and nine eight seven was actually the first title for the song, according to drummer Danny Carey. Hmm. My favorite part of this is uh, of the song is after the guitar solo, um, the segment starting at four minutes forty eight seconds. The song strips back and then starts layering things on again. You 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 know, I've mentioned this a couple times already. This is I'm a sucker for this stuff. So it strips back to just a very simplistic bass line uh, and slowly starts building the rest of the band back in. 
Uh, after a bit of faint met guitar melody layers on, and then Maynard starts coming in with the lyrics, uh, thematic with the rest of the song, they're focusing on embracing spirituality and recognizing the divine within humanity. Uh, then the, the kind of, you know, Danny Carey, absolutely one of the all-time greatest drummers of all time, and doing some no wild work on, absolutely wild work on this song, rest of the album as well. But uh, so this section, the drums kick in with a polyrhythm, that is tempo-wise behind the rest of the music that's playing, and then over the course of, like, five measures, he's, like, smoothly catching up to the rest of the music, which is just... I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you manage to maintain that separate time in your head. He's just incredible. (laughs) He's just one one of the craziest drummers out there. Just very, very good stuff. It's a beautiful song. It's easily my favorite Tool song. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's, it's probably like a top five all-time song for me. I've listened to it hundreds of times, and I will continue to listen to it hundreds of more times. Not my favorite Tool song, but it's not bad. I've listened to it a couple times. I just think it's okay. just feels like a, a of, standard a tool, tool song, song to me. Mm, this, one, this one's very special to me. Very... Uh, you know, uh, I, Maynard digs into a lot of different stuff with a lot of his different songs, but, uh, you know, this one, I think, hits on that spirituality aspect a lot more than some of his other stuff, and that's probably why you don't like it. Mm, maybe. Schism's my favorite. Just so Schism's very good. Schism also kicks ass. Very, very good. Also, same album. Yep. Uh, I know that's not going to translate, uh, plenty, but I don't care. Plenty, plenty of excellent tool songs, but this one's my favorite and my favorite over five minutes also. But yeah, number one, that's Lateralis. Lateralis. Late, late, lateralis? Lateralis. Uh, in fact, I'm sending you a link. Later, Aloose. Where the band pronounces it. I believe you. Lateralis. You don't have to convince me. Yes. You don't have to convince me. Lateralus. But yeah, that's our uh, that's our top tens here. Hmm. So uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back with our final segment. We're going to hit our honorable mentions, uh, maybe some dishonorable mentions. I've got two uh, dishonorable we'll mentions. Head into, yeah, interesting. We'll head into our even consider uh, final arguments about what belongs on the unified top ten list. So stick around, folks. Welcome back, everyone. If you made it this far, then, well, who are we kidding? You enjoy this. You're having fun. You're liking the conversation. And you probably disagree with Josh, which is why you're sticking around to see how Scott beats him up in the last segment. But in any case, what would really help us out is if you could review, rate, or simply refer this podcast to a friend. That would help immensely for us to get the word out. We enjoy having more conversations, hearing more opinions on this. Of course, you're probably wrong. But at the same time, it's nice to know that there are people who think differently. We'd like to hear your perspective. So reach out to us. But thanks for listening. We're going to go into our honorable mentions. And then we're going to 
finalize that combined top 10. Let's do it. Why don't you do your honorable mentions first? All right. Uh, I have entirely way too many honorable mentions. I have sorted them alphabetically according to band. And I'm just going to, I'm going to rapid fire through these pretty quick because otherwise it's going to take me a while. Do it. I think I have somewhere in the realm of like 60 of them. Do it. Here we go. <clears throat> Jessica from the Allman Brothers Band. Fiend by Anne Berlin. Uh, Valkyrie Missile by Angels and Airwaves. The Adventure by Angels and Airwaves. Stay Loose by Bell and Sebastian. If You're Feeling Sinister by Bell and Sebastian. You know, I'm going to change this. I have two songs from Blue October, The Follow Through and The Feel Again Stay. Uh, Boney Vare's The Wolves, Act 1 and 2. Uh, bon Jovi's Wanted, Dead or Alive, easily the best Bon Jovi song. Uh, Clocks by Coldplay, uh, two songs from Colin Melloy's uh, solo performances. Uh, the Gymnast High Above the Ground and California One Slash Youth and Beauty Brigade. Uh, Crossfades Make Me a Believer, David Bowie's Space Oddity. Uh, three songs from Death Cab, I Will Possess Your Heart, What Sarah Said, mm. and We Look Like Giants. Mm. Uh, previously mentioned on the show, Derek and the Domino's Layla. Uh, Holy Diver by Dio, excellent song. I got that. Uh, Through the Fire and the Flames by Dragon Force. Oh, yeah. uh, the Most Beautiful Girl in the Room from Flight of the Concords. Is that over five minutes? It is. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, Black Friday, mm, excuse me, Black Friday Rule by Flogging Molly. Sweet, sweet Child of Mine from Guns N' Roses. Uh, the aforementioned Inagata de Vida from Iron Butterfly. Uh, Diving Woman by Japanese Breakfast. Uh, three songs from the band Jars of Clay, Frail, Oh My God, and The Scenic Route. Carry On Wayward Son from Kansas. King Crimson's 21st Century Schizoid Man. Uh, four whole Led Zeppelin songs. Uh, you mentioned Cashmere on your list. I'm also going to include Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, When the Levee Breaks, and Achilles' Last Stand. Mm. Uh, Lifehouse's Everything, uh, Lincoln Park's Little Things Give You Away, uh, One by Metallica, I believe I mentioned before, uh, Muse, Knights of Sidonia. Uh, Amazing song. I mentioned Welcome to the Black Parade from My Chemical Romance, and Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, right next to each other. That's funny. Uh, Survive by Rise Against. They don't have a lot of songs over five minutes. I think this is one of the only ones I could find. It is one of their better songs, I think. Uh, the classic. The Girl from Ipanema by Stan Getz. Uh, two Sticks songs, Come Sail Away and Mr. Roboto. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Sofiane Stevens' Chicago. Switchfoot's The Beautiful Letdown. Uh, the Love Shack by the B-52s. Uh, four other December songs on here. Um, I previously mentioned Mariner's Revenge song. Also, uh, The Wanting Comes in Waves slash Repaid. Uh, on the Bus Mall and Make You Better. Uh, Demolition Man by The Police. Specifically, the not sing solo ver sing solo version. I like the uh, the ver version with the whole band. Uh, four other Tool songs: The Grudge, Schism, The Pot, and Parabola. Uh, two songs from U2: All I Want Is You and Bad. And then finally, uh, Roundabout by Yes. You know, I have some on my list that I thought for sure were going to be on your list, but. That's okay. It's very possible I forgot things, oh. and I tried not to include too many because I already included too many. Sure. So, uh, and then before we do your honorables, I'll just do my two dishonorables here. Uh, number one is uh, another Metallica song. It's Frantic by Metallica, because God, this song is absolute dog shit. This is the song where James Hetfield says, my lifestyle determines my death style. And boy, wow. 
That's stupid. Great lyric. Uh, and then I'm reading the notes here, and what I'm seeing here is under the song title, it's Every Song Ever Written by the band Fish. And that's it. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to generically say, first honorable mention, The Grateful Dead. They have so many jam songs. Yeah, see, I'm, that not, I'm not really I, a Grateful Dead guy. See, I'm, I'm blaming my father-in-law for this one. Um, Uncle John's band might be one of the best songs they've ever written. And, uh, my father-in-law has asked me to play it at his funeral. So, um, years from now, we'll learn to appreciate it again. Uh, first one on my uh, list after that though, Mr. Blue Sky, which I thought might make it at least on your honorable mentions. Um, it's fine. There's no sympathy for the dead by escape the fate Knights of Sidonia. You mentioned through the fire and flames operation ground and pound. Also a dragon force song. Fade to Black, Metallica, Black by Pearl Jam. I know you're not a Pearl Jam fan. That's fine. Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd, as well as Wish You Were Here. Uh, Stairway to Heaven. I had Stranglehold on here. I uh, I have Won't Get Fooled Again, War Pigs, November Rain, Hotel California. I did have Foreplay four Long Time. Uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia, specifically the Steve We Met version from Guitar Hero 3. Uh, I think that version with the extra solos and stuff is incredible. Um, Opeth Blackwater Park, specifically the song Blackwater Park, but the album has nearly every song on it over five minutes. And I don't listen to Blackwater Park, the song, without listening to the entire album. And I honestly don't know where everything starts and ends because I just listened to the whole album. And it's a very good background prog metal uh, album. Uh, Master of Puppets, Schism, Dance of the Manatee. You've probably heard that song because I've played it for you, but uh, it's by a band called Fair to Midland, and they're from Michigan, and not many people know them, but that song is very good. Uh, Nothing Else Matters, Come Sail Away and Mr. Roboto again. Uh, Rush Working Man. You don't like that song? You don't like Rush? I don't think I know that one. They call me the working man. No? Okay. I, I somehow have not heard that. Uh, two Minutes to Midnight. I, you know that song. Uh, yeah, it's good. Holy Diver. Welcome to, uh, uh, welcome to the Black Parade. I had that on my honorable mention previously, but then I edited it. Um, Rooster. I, I just I, That song, for some reason, just keeps cropping up and following me. Um, Hope. I don't know what that is. Uh, Rooster by Alice Cooper. You don't know. Or just keep... I'm not a big Alice Cooper guy. Neither. Well, hold on a sec. And, uh, Poison's okay. Uh, the song Poison. Excuse me. Poison, I'm sorry. Poison sucks. I. We need to edit that. Uh, next, I have Rooster by Allison Chains. Oh, okay. I'm not editing that. You're the world will know your shame. I. That I was. I said it, and I'm like, God, that sounds wrong it's not alice cooper and I, it yeah okay sorry uh hopeless wanderer did you know that's over five minutes great song uh, i don't know if i know what that is hopeless wanderer by mumford and son no you don't know that song is that not on their first that's on their second that, album that is bad okay well the music video for that with the four actors is incredible like jason bateman's in it and uh anyway we'll talk about that later uh there's three there's two and a half good songs on that album. stan by eminem featuring dido uh walk by pantera 
All Eyes on Me by Bo Burnham, Backcountry, Avenged Sevenfold, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, Panic Attack by Dream Theater. I really like the drum work in that song. And I. Yeah, Dream Theater's good. That you can thank Rock Band, I think, for that one because the. Pull Me Under, also a good. Oh, one. so good. And last but not least, Roses by Outcast. Roses really smell like. Boop, boop, boop. Anyway, I didn't know that was more than five minutes. It's like six minutes long. It's because of the extended oh, wow. piano intro, which I love. Okay. I really, really like that part. So that makes sense. Anyway, uh, I think that is my entire honorable mentions. I don't have any dishonorable mentions because if a song is over five minutes and I don't like it, I'm simply not going to listen to it. But that's fair. I think I agree with Fish. Not really. They're not bad. really going to listen to them. Nope. Don't mind the Grateful Dead. Not going to listen to Fish. So yeah, that's All it. Alright, well. That takes us to... We gotta make a unified list here. I have, on our shared Google Doc that we use to track these things, I have moved our top fives over. Because uh, this is already contentious enough. I very much doubt that anything below the top five is going to eke its way onto this list. Hmm. I would argue that Bony Vare should be eliminated yeah, can, and bring Cashmere you go, up. You, you can go fuck yourself. Bony Vare. Make it 10 then, because that song was awful. Just. Uh, it's incredible. Ear piercingly bad. Incredible. Yeah, incredibly bad. Yes. It is not talent. It is just frustrating, and I did not like it. And I don't even think it should be considered because it's a cover, even though I said that was okay. I'm second guessing myself because it's real bad. That doesn't even that that argument doesn't make any sense. That it that co- covers wouldn't be included. Come on, come on, gross. Uh, well, I on your top five, I knew four out of five. Uh, and half a cigar was fine. That's the one I didn't know, and it, eh, I don't know, hmm. it was okay. Didn't, didn't. Why don't we go with? Uh, can't, say, can't say I disliked it, but I also didn't didn't do a lot for low me. Low hanging fruit here. Bohemian Rhapsody should obviously be number one. Why don't we just move it over right now and not have to worry about I, I, it? I, I can I can acquiesce that it should rank highly, certainly, but sure. I'm, I'm not ready to say number one. Okay, yet. well I am. I'm gonna go ahead and move it, and we can just we just see how that feels, and we can talk about it okay. more later. How's that sound? Okay. Half of the guard didn't didn't do much for me. I do baseline at least like. The rest of the songs on your list. Hmm. Um, and I mostly agree with their order. Black Parade, easily the, the second best one that, you know, I, I agree with the five that you mentioned, Bohemian Rhapsody, best one. Um, Black Parade, definitely the second best. Okay, I I'll put it at number two like, then. Good. No, no we're, we're doing really well. <laughs> I think, I think Beast in the Harlot is better than Black Hole Sun. Really? Yeah, I think Black Hole Sun's fine. It's like a four out of five for me. It's pretty good. I'll go so far to say it's very good. Maybe it's recency bias, and I'm changing topics here slightly. I I think I enjoyed The Island more than I like Transatlanticism. And Wow, I, okay. I, I haven't really listened to The Island before, and I have listened to Transatlanticism before, so again, could be that it's new... There's a certain appeal to that, so a little bit of recency bias, but I I like that song. It, I Like I said, I'm putting it into my rotation. I wasn't just saying that. I really like that song. I almost listened That's to really it good. again today. 
that uh that whole album's great. Well, not, not everything on that album's great. Most of that album's great. And if you had Schism as number one, we might be having a different conversation. But I just think Lateralis is is okay. It's it's a fine tool song. It's I think it's musically, um, you, you know, you you like to talk a lot about how the you know how complex Bohemian Rhapsody and that is you know it definitely is. Uh, it is nowhere near the complexity of of lateral lateralis however we're gonna say it lateralis um uh if if, even if you want to look at just the drums just the drumming in that song Mm. is compare that to brian may's guitar though oh i love the guitar stuff i I don't want to put down bohemian rhapsody in any way it's an excellent song i love that song okay so it's very good it's also way more overplayed than anything else on this list yeah but I, i never get sick of it I really, really don't. I don't get sick of it, but I don't. I definitely don't feel the need to listen all the way through it every time. Oh, you know? I do. For for me personally, it's one of those things where it's just like, hey, oh, there, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. That's fine. Okay, what else is happening? It's like, I'm, have you ever I'm, seen that episode of South Park where Cartman hears the beginning of "Come Sail Away" by Sticks, and then he has to finish the whole song? If I watch the movie Wayne's World and I see the Bohemian Rhapsody portion, they don't actually do the whole song start to finish. And so I usually pause the movie, listen to the song start to finish to help satisfy that craving and then continue. Well, uh, maybe part of the thing here is I've never seen Wayne's World. What? So, yeah, never. Oh, my word. I'm not a big Mike Myers guy. Or Dana Carvey, for that matter. Yeah, but in this role, it's very good i know people i know people love it you know what else is good shrek that's pretty good i'm not going to disagree with you there <laughs> the first those first couple movies anyway shrek. and you know let's be honest that's your uh second favorite mpreg fanfic oh no <laughs> scott and i uh somehow <laughs> ended up discussing mpreg fan fiction recently not because we enjoy it well you do but to be clear i'm not shaming uh you. There's some weird Twitter posts out there. Anyway. Uh, Pregnant Sonic. Yeah, that's okay. Um, it's real bad. It don't. It's very, very, don't, it's uh, very bad. Not, not a best song over five minutes. It's also not over five minutes. Anyway. The autotune's um, rough. Back on, back on topic. Yeah. What are, what are uh, we thinking here? Let, I mean, if I'm looking at yours, I agree that of the five there, Lateralis is probably the best. I Mm-hmm. I think the island or Voodoo Child might come next. I maybe the island just because of recency bias, but uh, let's see. Obviously, Bonaventures. I just I really don't like that song. It is it is rough to me, and I I like I said I will never listen to it again. That's fair. Bonaventure. What are you French? Um, it nope. Well, then why is it pronounced Bonaventure? French Canadian? Uh it's also not it's not actually a French phrase. It's a it's a it's a phrase that he made up that sounds like French. Wow. That makes him a tool. Speaking of tool, lateralis. I think we probably can tuck that right after Bohemian Black Parade number 3. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh easily better than Welcome to the Black Parade not close mm. i also i it's much closer 
Bohemian Rhapsody is much closer behind Lateralus, <laughs> but um, it's not. Uh, it's uh, not. You're funny. Not, not, not quite in contention. No, there. Bohemian Rhapsody is the number one song over five minutes. It's not even a question. Let's look at this bottom of the list here. I'm not going to fight too hard for I Can't Make You Love Me because I know you don't like it. Um, I, you know, it's certainly making the rest. List. The rest of the list means very little to me. Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. needs to be number one. Okay, so um, Bohemian Rhapsody number one, my one through five uh, after that, and then everything else that you have at the bottom. Here, let, let, me, uh, let me put Lateralis at number two, because I'll concede that. Okay. I do okay. think the island is very good, and I would put that there. And then I would be willing to concede like this. Hold on. I'm going to throw Beast in the Harlot here, because I know you... Transatlanticism is beating Beast in the Harlot. It's not. Oh my god, that is not even a question. Alright, how about this? Hold on, hold on. Boom. And then Boney Vare, number 10. Black Hole Sun's better than having Cigar. Uh, okay. Alright, now we're going to talk about why Lateral Scissors should be number one. No, we're not. Yeah. No. I don't really feel like you've given any kind of convincing argument for that. Well, Everybody uh, knows Bohemian Rhapsody is number one. People listening are like, Josh, stop. You're making a fool of yourself. Lateralis can be number two because Scott is nice, but Bohemian Rhapsody, number one. In fact, I am, I'm feeling so strongly about this that I will do. Watch this. Watch this. Okay. Okay. Wow, you're, you're falling on your sword here. I am willing to move all of my other songs down. Interesting. Even though I think Bon Iver should be dead last, I would make it the last in your list, above mine. And you can order one th- or two through six in whatever order you would like. But I personally think the island is, is pretty darn good. Well, this is the first time we've had a whole, I'm just going to uh, pin all my stakes on number one and throw everything else in the trash. It, um, I think it is that high ab- above the rest of If this of is the deal, yeah, you're not right, but or you're, you're, it, is high, it is that much higher above the rest of yours. You're correct in that side. I thought you were saying above all of mine. But if we're, if we're doing this, if we're going to do this, then we're ordering them the way that I like them. Okay, then that's fine. This is not the way I saw this going. But if I get everything else where I want it to be, I can, I can lose the number one. Because here's, th- here's the side thing. I still win, but Hymian Rhapsody is still incredible. Still a great song. Yeah, Welcome to the Black Parade is better than Transatlanticism, though. It's not. We're not going to move it. Everybody knows it. Welcome to the Black Parade is their Bohemian Rhapsody. If you want to put, if you want to say that Welcome to the Black Parade, the album, is better than Transatlanticism, the album, you'd still be wrong. That's a closer argument. No, I'd definitely be right with that. Black Parade, Black Parade, Transatlanticism is a top 10 album of all time for me. Black Parade's like a top 50 probably. We really need to get somebody who has better taste in music in this podcast. Well, uh, for that, you'd have to uh, you'd have to leave because 
That was a good try. That was, that was a really Fallout Boy. Oh, you want to you want to go there, huh? You too, huh? Universally beloved band. Mm, no, universally the hated because time. they were forced to download it on everybody's iPod or iPhone or whatever a couple of years that ago. That was very stupid. That, that should that shouldn't that have happened. Was, that was very one stupid. One of the worst possible things that could have happened and is remarked as a life-altering event for people. Aaron still hates listen, the fact that the U2 songs are on her her phone. Listen, I'm not going to argue for that. That was a very stupid marketing decision that was made. Uh, I, I, I doubt that the members of U2 are the people who got to make that decision. I think that's an executive at Apple or something. But if you also, I'm not going to defend like latter day U2 either. I think most of their output like post 20, not 2009s, uh, what's the name of that album? It's the one after how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Don't know. Don't care. I'm stuck on this now. Hmm the hell's the name of that album i sent this to you the other day but what I'm a failure. what's the difference between jesus and bono jesus doesn't think he's bono no line on the horizon there we go listen no line on the horizon's a good album uh, anything past the, the the two albums they did past that not great i, I don't love them but uh, I, anyway. i'd probably say the same thing about fallout boys most recent two albums because i just yeah, don't know fair. anything about them so that's fair but they've got some real good ones in there all right, well, I've accepted your gambit. Yes. I'm the winner. Uh, if we go ranked uh, ranked listings, uh, you have dramatically lost this one. Yeah, but, but I don't care. It was worth it. Bohemian Rhapsody, number one, obviously. If, you, if this was most important, I'm right there with you. Hmm. Absolutely in lockstep with you. Easily the most important five-minute song that's been made. Why don't you read it? Most influential. You want to read it back also? 10 to 1, just so people know where we're standing? Let's do it. We have the Scott Block at the bottom, um, which he has uh, shamefully abandoned. Uh, number 10, Have a Cigar by Pink Floyd. Number 9, Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. Number 8, Beast and the Harlot by Avenged Sevenfold. And number 7, Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. We have uh, my list inserted in here uh with number six being voodoo child slight return from Jimi hendrix uh number five the decemberists the island come and see slash the landlord's daughter slash you'll not feel the drowning uh number four i can't make you love me slash nick of time by bony Vera. a lot of slashes in here um number three transatlanticism from death cab for cutie number two lateralis lateralis later ellis uh from shouldn't Tool. even be considered you don't even know how to pronounce it and number one obviously an excellent song. The best. Bohemian Rhapsody. Number one. By Queen. A lot of slashes. Don't stop I, me now. You say a lot of slashes. I don't see Guns N' Roses in this list. Well, they're, in the I, they're on my honorable mention. They were on mine, too. Did we both say Sweet Child of Mine? Uh, no, I said November Rain. Oh, I missed that. I don't love November Rain. It's okay. It's pretty epic. I like it. Uh, top ten... Douchebag lead singers. Axl Rose, absolutely in contention. That that is an episode that would be... I feel like it would be pretty easy to just bash on some of those guys. Because there's some, there's some real D-bag lead singers. They deserve it. It's okay. But hey, we're done. We did it. We, we completed we did it. another list. 
I, I think there's a question you usually ask me. There is. Uh, we have to establish. Um, uh, we we we're applying the Surf Ninja's litmus test here. Um, does Bohemian Rhapsody rank above or below Surf Ninjas? If Surf Ninjas featured Bohemian Rhapsody on the soundtrack, it would be a perfect movie. But it does wow. not. And for that, I say Bohemian Rhapsody beats Surf Ninjas. There you, there you have it, folks, from the horse's mouth. But I'd like to believe while they were filming the movie, they were probably listening to that song. It just makes like thinking just makes, about it. Yeah, at least. yeah, you know, in spirit, Eddie Reyes. Yeah, yeah. I try to. I try to live my life one Bohemian Rhapsody at a time. <sighs> Don't we all? Don't we? All? I, you know, and I try to live my other life one Surf Ninja at a time. So. I've actually never been surfing. It's kind of shameful. We'll have to have that conversation yeah, I another time. <laughs> I'm not uh, coordinated enough for that. But hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to us argue, even though I kind of sold the farm here. But you know what? We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And our next episode is going to be posted in the usual two-week time period. Uh, Josh, do you want to tell the people about the special next episode, as well as maybe a pre-preview to the next next episode? Yeah, it's kind of a wild scheduling time around here. Um, with that summer is an understatement. I'm 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 moving. Um, I, the, this is the last time I will be recording in this uh, this condo that we currently live in. Uh, I bought a house. Woo! Uh, congrats. And I bought a house, and uh, we're moving in on Monday. So. Uh, our next recording will be in the new house, and uh, due to unfortunately uh, due to shot uh, due to shot due to Scott's uh, uh, you know shameful betrayal of his own list here, uh, we are excising him from the show uh, for one episode. He's sitting in the penalty box for an episode, and we're going to uh, have a special guest filling in for him next time. That is a really roundabout way of saying Scott's schedule is so incredibly busy with work and kids that. He literally has zero time to record. And unfortunately, it means, yes, we will have a guest temporarily, but I have blessed yeah. it. Um, and yeah, so I will be hopefully submitting honorable mentions once I know no, I the like topic to, like for that. you guys to consider or discuss as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely so loop me those on the episode. Uh, so the, uh, we're nailing down the exact specifics of how all that's going to shake out, but, uh, yeah, we'll have a special, special fill in guest next time. Uh, and then the time after that is a very special episode for us because it, that episode will mark one year of us doing this podcast, what? which is honestly crazy for me to think about. You came up with the idea, you sold it to me and I immediately created a twitter and an email for us and that was the, that was the start of where we were and this has had some stay power and i think it's yeah. because it's it's just fun i'm having a yeah, good time it's fun to do it is we're, we're well past the one year mark of us starting to actually conceive this project and talk about oh, it sure. and plan it and i think we're i think we're even past like our uh private pilot episodes tell you what we get enough of a following someday um and we, we, enough to start a Patreon or something. We'll release our pilot episodes as a special bonus episodes for Patreon members Ooh, or something. Tempting. That's 
that's not going to happen. But uh, hey, you know, if it were someday, that'd be fun. Ah, uh, you know what? We might just release them at some point anyway, just because I, I don't yeah, know. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not too worried about making money from this. I just want to have fun. I think yeah. it's a good conversation. Yeah, we're just we we do it because it's a good time. Let's and, let's uh, be real. We're gonna keep doing it. Our, we were having these conversations anyway. We just formalized sure. it. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about this special one year anniversary bonus episode we're gonna do is we're gonna get creative with the the type of list stuff we're doing. We're gonna do some stuff we hadn't uh, we haven't done before. Ooh. Don't spoil uh, it. It's Don't gonna spoil be. It. We're gonna say special. Maybe. Maybe some uh, some jam packed extra extra special stuff in there. Yes, but you're gonna have to wait. There there will be a lot of content in that episode. I think. Agreed. But you know what? Until next next time, I've been Scott. How am I gonna do this outro? That's gonna be weird. I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. It's just the way, the way of kings. Life before death. death Have you heard that yet? Life before death, as in... In, in, Within the context of that book. No, but I have a suspicion I know what it is. Life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Hmm, no. You're going to hear that. Okay. I do keep getting snippets of people's, like, dying words. Uh Uh-huh, you sure do, huh? Those are called death rattles. That's funny. Because in Hearthstone, they're also called death rattles. Yeah, but the Way of Kings is good. That's funny, because Hearthstone used to be. (laughs) It sure did used to be. (laughs) I I don't know what it is now. Hot garbage, maybe. Uh, They did the Blizzard thing that they do with basically all the Blizzard games, where it starts really fun, and then they balance all the fun out of it. Uh, I would argue that periodically Battlegrounds is still is still fairly balanced and fun. I mean, I don't say they make the game unbalanced. I say that I, I, I what I'm saying is they balance the game in such a way that removes the things that I enjoy about it. Oh, this happened oh, okay. with Hearthstone. This happened with you. Haven't played Battlegrounds uh, though. No, I haven't played Battlegrounds. It's pretty um, fun. It happened with um, Overwatch. They balanced 1,000% of the fun out of that game.